Yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 155 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, the man who gets relief from all his neighboring podcast hosts, the ill-mented spunky child, a.k.a. Moods. And, of course, I have the Mexican, the Mexican leprechaun in the house with me tonight, also known as JP. What's going on, playa? Yeah. Also known as sick as fuck. Yeah, this seems to be a very fucked up episode, man. I'm sick, you're sick, and it's just the two of us. I know, it's been a long time since we've had one of these intimate episodes with just me and you. In fact, I actually went back and looked just to see what the last one was. Episode 86, Observance, that oh. exploitation release. Really? That was the last one? Wow. Yeah crazy oh that's been a long wow that's a ton of ton of episodes yes unfortunately this episode was actually supposed to feature brandon from the exploding cox whore podcast um but unfortunately we had a sequence of events this week that led us to just the two of us (laughs) (laughs) it's like yeah we were supposed to record on sunday jeremy was busy um working and then um, Sunday got messed up because you had a flood problem or something. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was not fun. Not fun. And then uh, we scheduled for the next day, which was Monday. And then I was like, you know what? That's actually a bad day for me because I work early. Uh, can we actually just do Wednesday? And then I realized on Wednesday that... I worked on Thursday and you wouldn't be available till like 11 p.m. my time. And I was like, oh, man, that that's just I have to get up at like five. <laughs> this, yeah. this can't be a thing. And then I was like, well, let's just push it to Friday, which is like a week later. I don't even think we've ever even done an episode on Friday. No, I don't think um, we've ever recorded on a Friday. This actually feels weird. It's strange because we're recording the show right now and it's usually like uh you know it's usually like a communal skype night anyways so i'm usually on skype but not mm-hmm. recording this feels fucking strange to me right now yeah you guys usually skype every friday yeah. lately i don't like to do it when the wife's not home like this because like i said i got my dog sitting beside everything can just everything can basically explode at once on me right because <laughs> i'm here and the kids and i don't know it, shit can just start to go down so it feels weird to me but uh you know, at least we're getting it recorded, you know? Yeah, the show must go on, especially this episode has been super delayed. Um, we, yeah. I think we got this episode like three or four months ago from Sam. It's the, uh, s- how do you say his name? Cyan Sono. Cyan Sono. Yeah. Um, that episode, um, and that's one that, I think we got that way back when we got Takashi Mike. I think we got him at the same time. So it's been a while since we've had this one to do, and... You know, we we finally are getting around to it. Unfortunately, Jeremy couldn't be with us for it. And unfortunately, Brandon couldn't be with us for it. And unfortunately, we even tried to get Derek on the show. And by, you know, and he had to work. And then all of a sudden, it's just too short notice to get somebody to watch, you know, a two and a half hour film and an hour and 45 minute film and then, yeah, <laughs> then yeah. a 90 minute one. So it's just us. Um, but yeah, Brandon is actually at a convention with the homeboy, with the homeboy Matt. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. They met up like in person. Yeah, that is cool. You know, and you know, I seen their I seen their very gay pictures of each other, and so but they're having fun. That's really cool, man. That's really cool. So, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah I'm kind of jealous, I got, man. I'm jealous, man. I, I love going to conventions. I'd love to have met up with been, them, but I've never been. Unfortunately, I'm about 3,000 miles away. No, yeah. like 3,500 miles away from that. So not it's doable. actually not too far from me. I mean, it's across the entire state, but, you know, considering it's doable. It's doable. Yeah, it's definitely doable. Um, man, dude, I worked today, came home. I, first of all, I went and um, got bought some medicine and went and got uh, some like water and chicken noodle soup in case I get hungry. I'm not really feeling like cooking much. And then <laughs> I just came home and started pre- actually prepping for next week's show, which is the Maniac OG vs. Remake, which we're finally getting to thanks to I think Marco paid for that one uh, on Patreon. And uh, that's 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 one that that little known fact that was actually supposed to be episode four mm-hmm. of the 22 shots um there's an episode called episode four untitled and it was supposed to actually be maniac which is actually the only untitled episode in our entire catalog yep and it's that episode and it's actually all jp's fault can't even blame this one on on the jew <laughs> can't blame it on the jew uh yeah jp had ordered UFC and we were having technical difficulties with this uh, specific episode and it just went we didn't too get late to start for like two hours. Yeah. So we pretty much we would have been to. done the show because we were doing, you know, pretty much shorter shows back in those days. So we kind of started the show when we should have been ending. And yeah. yeah, so we only got like two thirds of the show recorded. <laughs> we just called it an untitled episode. No, no feature reviews, but yeah, yeah, that was like five years ago, and then all of a sudden, yeah, so we're doing Maniac versus Maniac or whatever. Yeah, so, pretty, pretty cool. cool. Uh, I'm happy Marco did that. Um, in other news, I don't know if you saw this, but um, Jeremy started a full-fledged Patreon war. <laughs> Only the Jew could do that, you know. With, <laughs> with exploding heads. So um, Jeremy called out um exploding heads for not um making as much as us last month and uh they just went full full blown like revamp entire patreon oh i thought you, i thought you're gonna when you said revamp are they gonna say retarded <laughs> no like well that too i man. thought you're I pushed, mean, oh that's funny dude, you know they I, I, I did i actually so many tears <laughs> you know i actually i i never go on a page like i actually at one point i had to go on our patreon to see what our tears were I wasn't even 100% sure exactly what they all were mm-hmm. and a little while ago. But anyways, I had to go check this out. I had to go check yeah. out Exploding Heads tears, and I was like, holy it, shit. The one tier, it, like, blew my mind. It was like, we'll, like, we'll review 100 horror films or something. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the tier, the coolest one I thought they had was, um, do we'll pick a year, and then we'll review 10 films from that year. I thought that was pretty cool. I'm happy yeah. to see that they didn't actually do, like – pick a year and we'll do a top 10 list for it i do i am really happy that they at least you know respected that uh they come on our show for that and you know it would kind of suck if they started doing it too Mm -hmm. um so i'm 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 really glad that they you know let us have that one i think that specific tier too you pick 10 films from a specific year and i think it could get broken up between all the hosts so they kind of I think that's the way Brandon was explaining it to me. And I was like, wait, oh, okay. there's, there's an, like an odd film out. So somebody just reviews four <laughs> and the other guys review three. I don't know how that works. Yes. So. 
Um, or maybe, or then, maybe, maybe the picks are for all of them. They review all of them together. I, I was actually kind of confused on that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but they, the thing that surprised me the most, I was just like, I, I had to double take because I couldn't believe it. it. There's a non-horror option. Yeah. Yeah. Three non-horror fa- that it's like called like that's not horror or something, and I was so surprised because Dave was for the longest time you know saying like that he they're the only true horror podcast on horophilia because everybody else has touched non-horror um so i guess nobody has a (laughs) horror podcast anymore because i know derek bought that tier and he's uh making him watch some stuff is he making him watch some some anime I don't want to spoil what it is just in case they haven't announced it. But it yeah. actually is like still in relation to horror. He he kind of did a cool thing. I thought it was pretty neat. Um so yeah, they they uh they basically launched a Patreon war against us, which is pretty funny. Um but so listen, I think this could be a benefit here cuz like guys do we want to let I'm talking to the listeners out there. We don't want to lose the exploding heads, do we? Everybody go float our Patreon right now so we don't. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, we can't let we can't let those guys beat us. That's not cool. They already beat us all the time in the top 10 rankings, all the time. Like we had like a couple that was ahead of them, but they well, always beat us in downloads. Well, you know, man, Jason hasn't posted those top 10 lists in a long time. And I heard through the grapevine he stopped posting them because somebody from that podcast actually told him to stop posting them because we started taking over. Really? No, I'm totally making that shit up. I was about to say, (laughs) wait a minute. (laughs) Let's just go with that. Yeah, I think that's why he stopped posting them. That that was just my really absurd absurd (laughs) theory of why Jason stopped posting. I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah, you know, too. just seeing who was in the top ten. So, um, but yeah, they always kicked our ass. So, um, I want revenge with Patreon at least. But we got to win at something. So, um, let's let's uh, even let's... in the playing field, man. It's all yeah. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought that they put out a lot of cool stuff, like g- cool options. I don't know how they plan on actually keeping up with it because they're only a bi-weekly show, and I know we struggle keeping up with ours. That is true. That is true. I'm I mean, sure they'll explain it how they plan on doing it, but yeah, I'm a few episodes behind on them. I, I think I'm on like two episodes behind. But um, yeah. So I mean, besides that though, um, I've been kind of. I feel like I haven't been around lately in the group and stuff. Like I've just been MIA. Yeah, you've been lately. pretty MIA. Yeah. To the point I'm where people people actually noticed. To. People actually noticed. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what can you do, man? You know, life gets hectic, gets shitty. You know, sometimes you just need some time for yourself and shit. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I, I know. I mean, things happen, you know. Things go down and you just you need to kind of take a step back, try to breathe properly when you're not sick. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, shit just always seems to happen, man. I don't know what it is about 2019. But it's been like one fucking thing after another. I mean, with all three of us basically from the show. But it, like, it yeah. never stops. Even fucking today, something happens. So, it, insane, insane. So I'm at fucking work, and I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing my shit. All of a sudden, the receptionist comes back, and she's like, she's like, 
you got a call. And I was like, what? I'm like, who the fuck would be calling me here? And I'm like, oh, shit. It's, it's got to be one of two people. It's either the kid's school or it's the wife. And it actually was the wife. And it was about the school. <laughs> so I'm like, what's up? And she's like, yeah, all the kids just got evacuated. There was a bomb threat there. But Yeah. Damn. And so they evacuated all the kids to a different school, like just a little ways up the road. And so we had to go pick, I had to leave work and go pick him up. And I was like, what the fuck? Bomb threats? This is Canada. We got bomb threats in Canada. <laughs> this is crazy ass shit, man. So it, it's just like, so it was like one o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I, I still got like three and a half hours left my shift, but I was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really mind leaving early. Got to go pick up the kid. <laughs> but it's like, what the fuck? It's like one thing after another, man. You know, it's just never ends, yeah. man. Never ends. Yeah, man, I had such a bad start to 2019. 2019 has been the worst year uh, that I've had in the five years we've been doing this show so far. (laughs) You know, um, it's just been kind of really crappy for me, but it's looking a little bit better other than being sick. So uh, we'll just move on and keep it rolling. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it's March now, so the weather should be you know close to getting a little bit better you know i think a lot of people have the uh you know winter blues and you know the seasonal depression that comes towards the oh winter (laughs) absolutely absolutely man we just came off the coldest february we've had in as long as i can even remember It, it it almost averaged minus 30 here all month wow like that's and that was a big thing like why a lot of people like you know the, the mentality of people and just so much sickness and shit that was going around and stuff. It was just a bummy month, man. Just terrible. Yeah. You know, it's just awful to do anything in and shit. So, but it's, you know, it's, it's back in the pluses now. So I, th- I think it's, uh, you know, trying to hit some spring, but fuck, I'm just so done, man. I'm just so done. This has been such a long two months of the year. I'm just like, I want this shit to start turning <laughs> around and just get nice out. And, Oh my God. But but yeah, man, you know, these are the things that keep us going, man, is recording, doing shows, you know, yeah, keeping yeah. it real, <laughs> whatever the fuck that means. But uh, yeah, man, what else can I say, man? So I don't know. Should we uh, should we get into some news? Do we got some news? We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Yeah, yeah, let's go Go with a little bit of news. So, uh, first little bit of news here. I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, Adrian Barbeau, who of course we know was the star of Wes Craven's Swamp Thing, actually is joining the cast for the new DC Universe um, reboot of Swamp Thing. Um, being produced by James Wan. So... I just thought that was cool that that she's actually going to be part of that. Wow. Like, of course, we know Adrian Barbeau in horror and, you know, Swamp Thing, obviously, one of Wes Craven's more boring films. I, I wonder if she's going to revise showing her boobs. I know, right? That was uh, – <laughs> that's, that's a – that scene has been, you know, kind of notorious because it's not in the 
Scream Factory release. Is it on the 88 Films release? I believe it is in that version. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I've seen it before. I don't really give a shit, man, to be honest. The movie is – I'm not a fan of that movie whatsoever. It's, it really is boring as shit. It is. I'd rather watch the Jim Warnowski's sequel. As stupid as it is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's more entertaining. You know, I don't close. love either of them. I was when we did uh, what was eighty two. Um, I was probably the highest I ever been on Swamp Thing, and even then I wasn't too too high. And I actually watched Wynorski's like a couple days later, and I thought Wynorski started off a lot stronger, but I feel like it gets very, very, very cringy like in the later part of the film with the love story and stuff. And I couldn't really give it a pass after that. It was just. Weird. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely one of my least favorite Wes Craven films for sure, for sure. It's 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 like bottom, like really. There's a couple that I still haven't seen, but for the most part, I think that's out of his like known ones. <laughs> that and Hills Have Eyes too are probably my least favorite. It's crazy, you know. That movie has such a you know it has a decent enough following to, you know, it had a TV show at one time and. You know, this new thing got a sequel, it got a sequel. Like it's gotten all this love over the years, but it's like every time it gets brought up, I just shake my head. I'm like, really? Swamp thing. (laughs) I don't know. Um, all right. After that, got a little update on some Blumhouse stuff. So, uh, Jason Blum was in a Q and a and, uh, somebody asked him, um, is sinister three a possibility? And he said, nope. Um, he said uh, maybe for the small screen, but most likely probably not. And then he also gave us an update on um, the likelihood of Happy Death Day 3. Goody. And um, somebody asked him, you know, are we getting a Happy Death Day 3? And he said not very likely, but not impossible. Um, so Happy Death Day 2 ended actually on... A post-credit scene. There was a post-credit scene that set up a third film. Oh, fuck. Um, so, as we know, it actually post-credit scenes. That's the, the fucking. It, you know, it's the hip thing to do these days, man. Gotta have that post-credit. Fuck. It, it, Happy Death Day to you completely underperformed. I mean, it, it did. You know, it, it did. I mean, it did fifty million worldwide, which is great on a nine million dollar production budget, but. Um, the first film did 125 million worldwide. So I think they're looking at it like, okay, if we lost over 50% on the, um, you know, 50% over 50% decline on the second film is the third film going to be, you well, know, 50% yeah, they, of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it is 50%, which is probably going to be like 60 or 70, the, the margin of profit is absolutely nothing. Cause you know, the budget's going to go up on the film, which means mm-hmm. marketing because they're yeah. going to try and push it more. And then, eventually fail just like the first movie in my eyes sucks yeah i really hate it (laughs) it uh i almost just choked but um it the director actually said he planned it as a trilogy so or he imagined it as a trilogy really Uh, honestly i dude like fuck the second one was fun but it is so it takes a, such a step away from horror and slasher and becomes more of like a sci-fi like comedy um 
I like the first one. I know you didn't, but I like the first one. I actually like the second one, but I thought the second one was pretty honestly bad. Like it, it, I thought it was really, really, really stupid at times. And I actually expected a little bit more out of like the concept of it with the, like almost back to the future, like parallel, like wormhole type thing going on. And it just, uh, I just thought that it was like super underwhelming in terms of like the story from what I was expecting. Um, and honestly, the way they set up the third film, I was like, I don't want to see this. Like it looked like they're going even further away from horror in the way they set up the third film. So honestly, like I'm fine with it. So not it's still happening. that whole groundhog day shit. Still, yeah, but it's, it's kind of, it. yeah, it's still that, but it, it's a little different too. Oh Lord, man. If you're saying that the second one was kind of bad, you know, and, and whatever else, Man, dude, I can't even imagine how much I'm going to hate that movie. But, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Jeremy liked the second one more than the first one, so. And I, Carly did too, so, I mean. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You so. know, going back to the censor, I've never actually seen the sequel. I, I even own it. Never I've seen never it. seen it either. I like Sinister One. I actually love Sinister One. I like Sinister. I, I thought I always said that I thought the casting was kind of weird. But honestly, man, if I'm gonna watch that kind of story, I, I choose the canal. Remember remember when we did the canal on the Irish show? Yeah, I like Sinister more than Canal though. Yeah, no. I like me, man. I like the canal, but I like Sinister more. Um so after that, um so this is this, I mean this is hilarious to me but you know you have what was it 1992 so like 26 years ago was the last time we saw critters um and now they released the trailer for shutters um tv series critters a new binge i believe um so that's coming to shutter and then not only that but there's a critters movie that's being made for sci-fi that just wrapped so that's pretty crazy. Um, a Critters movie made for sci-fi? Yeah, so like all of a sudden there wasn't nothing to do with Critters for 26 years and now there's a TV show and a movie coming out. I, I don't think I knew about the movie. Yeah, they just – they apparently sci-fi just wrapped um, their movie. So, hey, they did well with Leprechaun, so um, maybe they'll do well with So Critters. how does it play into the franchise? Is it just kind of like a reboot? Or are they tying it into the... I guess not... I guess they probably couldn't. I mean, I guess uh, they could, but what are they doing with it? Does it say? Because uh, I'm confused by that. That's crazy that they're doing a movie and a TV show at the same time. It's random. Um, well, the only thing that they wrote is there's a rumor that D. Wallace um, could return. So if that was a... If that rumor turns out to be true, then maybe it's a sequel. Yeah, that would yeah. But wow, this this Shutter series, there's a trailer for it already, so it hmm. that's like on its way heavy, and then the sci-fi film shouldn't be too far away. But Very I figured bizarre. Chris is probably pretty excited about that. Yeah, no shit, man. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> what are the chances of getting yeah. a movie and a TV series at the same time? It's fucked up. Yeah, especially so long after. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speak. Speaking of so long after, 40 years after, um, we have Mary's, Mayor, Meyer, Meir, 
Zach Mary, I don't know, Mayor Zachary, um, returns to bring us I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu, which is the sequel to the original I Spit on Your Grave, as Camille Keaton reprises her role as Jennifer Hills. Yeah, like the official sequel. Not yeah, because the... there was the the yeah, there was one in the eighty, like in the later eighties, shot on video sequel, quote unquote, that has the funniest fucking dry hump scene of all time in it. What think, was that one called? I think that is. I think it's Savage Vengeance. Is it? Yeah, some, I think you're right. There's something like that. I can't remember, but like it has the funniest. I think that is the rape scene. Actually, is the dry yeah. like the clothed dry hump? Like it's fucking funny as hell. Like. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> really bad. I think it's Savage Vengeance. So if we if we do the I Spit on Your Grave franchise, it would include I Spit on Your Grave, Savage Vengeance, the unofficial sequel, I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu, the official sequel, and then the three remake films. So it would be a five-film series. Have you seen all the remakes? Oh, wait. All three of them? Six film. It would be a six-film series. Um, no, I haven't seen any of them, actually. Really? The only I spit on your grave I've ever seen is the 1978 one. You know, it's interesting. I hear a lot of people, you know, the whole remake to original argument. You know, you always hear people talk about how much they... It seems like almost more people seem to like the remake of The Hills Have Eyes <clears throat> more than the original. It's yeah, not, I go it's back not, it, 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 Exactly. It's not, it's not uncommon to hear that. But man, I tell you, when the the remake of I Spit in Your Grave came out, a lot of people are like, "That thing just blew away." No pun intended with "blew away." Yeah, the original. And um, I mean, I I will say, I mean, it, it's decent. I mean, the original is just so gritty and gritty. It just has this kind of flavor to it that is it's very attractive. But uh, the remake is fucking brutal. Yeah, like brutal. The kills are so amped up in it; it's just ridiculous, man. Her revenge is just, it's cringeworthy, man. Especially the end kill. Oh, man. But I can see why people would really like the remake even more. Mm-hmm. You know, but. Um, this one, I will be honest, like, I, uh, the trailer came out and I just wanted to click it just to see what the quality looked like. Because this film had been in the works for a while now. I, yeah, I remember no just looking. Yeah. We talked about it a while ago and we weren't sure if it was actually happening. And then. It is. Um, and I just clicked the trailer for a couple seconds. It does look very low budget. Um, so I don't know how strong the acting is going to be. Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, Camille Keaton is is not a fucking uh, A-list actress here. <laughs> I know, but she did really good in the first one. Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm still really curious to see this film. Cause, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I mean, if she is, I I'm not sure about the storyline if she's the victim again, but I I love these in films like in the remakes. it's her and her daughter, it's her and her daughter. Okay, like in the in the remakes, like you can make three of these things and the same chick keeps getting raped. I'm like, how fucking like you got the worst luck in the world? How do you get raped that many goddamn times? <laughs> it's like, come on, dude. You know, in different cities, different scenarios and shit. It's like, man, what do you got? Just rape me fucking written on your back? <laughs> I don't know. But 
All right. Um, I, I guess rape isn't that funny to you, but I thought. <laughs> oh, sorry. If it was incest, that would be funny, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it like hurts to laugh. <laughs> so <laughs> my lungs hurt so bad. Um, Eli Roth uh, producing and potentially directing a survival horror film, The River at Night, for Miramax. So this this looks like this might be what Eli was meeting with Miramax for. Oh, that's um, disappointing. Thanksgiving. Um, but essentially... No, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Fucking Jeremy. Jeremy. <laughs> um, basically, it was a 2017 novel that they're adapting. Um, I believe the project, it says it'll be shaped by Kevin Williamson and Eli Roth. Um, and Roth might actually be directing. Um, there's a big write-up on how what it's about but it says kevin and i had a long mutual admiration uh society and he told me this was girls girls trip meets deliverance i said i'm in roth told deadline (laughs) i've always been drawn to these clash of culture movies like cabin fever and hostel where they go on adventure and everything turns against them and see what they're made of uh the book is fun and a smart thriller so that's that seems to be what roth was actually working on so Okay, yes. I mean, can't be any worse than Death Wish, so. <laughs> I like Death Wish. I, I it wasn't to, great, it wasn't I, great, but I liked it. I, I just want him to go back making, you know, decent to above average films, you know. I think the, you know, we've had this conversation a lot, but the second half of his career is definitely plummeting compared to the, doesn't even compare to the first half in quality of films, but. That is my opinion. Sticking to it. Green Inferno. Fuck. <laughs> uh, after that, um, <laughs> Alexander. can say anything. You are such a dick. You're 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 a dick. The two of you are the most annoying dicks in Canada. <laughs> Don't make me sound like an asshole. I you like just... those movies. Fuck off. <laughs> Um, Alexander Aja's new horror film um, Crawl is supposed to be released in July July 12th actually Um, this is a is this a is this an A24 film? I don't even know Um, essentially it's following a young woman who is struggling to save her father during a category 5 hurricane finds herself trapped inside a flooding house and fighting her life against Florida's most savage and feared predators. I think that it's uh, like a killer crocodile or killer alligator film or something. I think that's what the word on the street was. It doesn't say here on bloody disgusting, but um, Sam Raimi, I believe produced this. And like I said, it's Alexander Aja's new film. So that could be cool. Wow. Increase your features. I like that. Sounds straight like some uh contained horror to me so i'm i'm down with that well make it practical yeah there was a another good contained um alligator slash crocodile film called dark water from mm, probably over a decade ago now uh it's from the same one yeah it's from the same dude who did the reef which is a great contain shark film <laughs> yeah blackwater that that's the one where they get trapped in the 
uh, kind of in the swamp area and they're stuck in the trees yeah. and shit. That's yeah. fucked. Yeah, that's really fucked up, man. Yeah. That's that's a scary idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, we have uh, Scream Factory announcing a new steel book. Um, and this is actually the first time I believe Scream Factory is putting a film out in a steel book that wasn't a official Scream Factory Blu-ray beforehand. And that is Joe Dante's Piranha. Um, they're putting out a stillbook version with a new 4K scan, as well as the um, a new commentary with uh, Roger Corman. That, that if you remember back the Corman before Shout Factory um, created Scream Factory, there was the Roger Corman cult classics line, um, which a lot of those films have been re-released on Scream Factory since. Um, Piranha was one that hadn't been though. Yeah, a few of them have made their way over there, like Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a few. Yeah, I, did they did they say anything about releasing that Piranha on a regular edition? No, I think it's still book only. Fucking lame. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I don't really. I you know what? I just bought a still book. I bought Back to the Future trilogy on blu-ray uh which i gave the digital copy away on the patreon by the way if if you haven't been on the patreon uh, i got a couple more codes for you guys um be on the lookout for those but yeah and you know what i i have all i've never liked still books like i've I've never like been crazy about them um but turns out like i'm actually i actually am kind of repulsed by them like i don't like the feeling of them the top of the cover and stuff it's not it's like a weird doesn't feel smooth i I just don't like it um but yeah that that triggers jp's gag rate reflex right there (laughs) steel (laughs) (laughs) i just don't fucking i just i never bought into it like you know i I don't know i don't mind steel books you know like i i don't like hate them or anything i just don't collect them you know if i can get something on a standard I, i mean i'll pick up the odd one if it's really fucking cool looking you know, like I actually picked up the It Follows one with it has that kind of throwback um, 80s artwork on it, you know, with the, the eyes in the mirror and shit. Mm-hmm. You ever see that artwork? That's fuck. I love that artwork, man. So damn cool. Yeah. You know, but like I have a few of them. I have some of the ones that like were released in Walmart, like The Mummy and Van Helsing and um, King Kong. And what else do I have? I have uh, what was the uh, I have Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too on a DVD still book, but yeah, uh, not a huge collector of them myself. I, I'm not a huge fan of them. Oddly enough, I actually have the Piranha remake on a steel book. Come to think of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's fucking, it's, it's actually kind of cool though. Cause it's in Boston shit. It's got like a, I guess a different texture. Maybe that won't repulse you as much. <laughs> won't trigger that gag reflex. Oh, also, yeah, I totally forgot. Um, Scream Factory announced the Entity. Um, 1982's the Entity. They have it listed as 83, but and fuck you want, that. You want to talk about atrocious artworks? Yeah, Holy that's not a very good... I mean, fuck. honestly, the, the Entity artwork isn't that good to begin with. No. Any, of, it, any it, version. No, it, it really is but the original artwork is definitely better than that. But I, I, I like, looked at the picture... Or looked at the artwork and I was like, that doesn't even really kind of, it doesn't really reflect Barbara Hershey's beautiness. No, it, 
honestly, it doesn't even really look like her that much. Yeah, like I had to like you know double triple take on it. I was like, that doesn't look like Barbara Hershey. What the fuck is going on? So yeah. I, I don't know. I was confused by that. It didn't look like. Yeah, I have the Umbrella Blu-ray, actually. So I'm probably not upgrading. Um, even though I really like the entity, it's. Uh, you know, I I was gonna buy the UK blu-ray so many times i never did i was gonna grab that umbrella one i never grabbed that either and now this one it's like i still don't even own the movie on blu-ray which is crazy yeah because it's it's a film i love and i mm. probably should upgrade that one but uh they also did have you announced go, have you watched that umbrella blu-ray yeah what what kind of audio did they did they do a new mix on it and stuff I have no idea. Or did they I've just watched, use like a, a while ago. They I just can't use remember it at all. <laughs> I, I, I'd be curious to hear what the actual, you know, the sound design or the soundtrack sounds like on the Blu-ray, right? Because even the DVD just fucking pounds. And it's like one of the most mm. intense yeah, know, scores score. of all time, right? It's insane. I'd, so, yeah. I'd like to hear that. Um, they also announced um, a couple of sci-fi horror films from the 50s uh you got the island earth from 55 the uh monolith monsters from 57 and then monster on campus from 58 man i guess hey man screen factory is really putting it down with all these fucking you know 50s and 60s films right now it's crazy yeah i like it mixed in with the hammer stuff and they've been releasing a ton of stuff like I went, you know, a good year, year and a half there with not buying a lot of Screen Factory stuff. And then they obviously picked up the catalog for all these uh, older titles. And it's just mm-hmm. been like, holy fucking burning holes in my pocket, considering that, you know, they dropped or dropped the prices since they jacked the prices. And, yeah. but, you know, I, I've, I've been still getting pretty decent deals on some of them and shit. But, but I got to say, man, I, I'm, it's cool that they went this way and then they're releasing a lot of these type of titles because I'm really curious to see if they're going to start releasing more of the Hammer films. Yeah, well, they announced also Frankenstein Created Woman, which is uh, yeah Peter Cushing one Hammer, um, which I got to say I do like the artwork they're doing on the Hammer titles. Mm. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's fucking that's totally sweet, man. Because there's a lot of Hammer titles out there, man, that you know have been out of print for a long time and stuff, and hopefully they've snagged them up and they're going to be releasing all those and shit. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's dope as hell. They're they're doing. A lot of hammer stuff because I, I i'm not super versed in hammer but from what i've seen i, I do like um the, the stuff that i see i, I usually like so mm-hmm. uh, yeah actually you know what funny enough um dracula 1972 was my least favorite hammer film that i've seen so far i think yeah dracula 72 is a fun film for what it is the major mm-hmm. problem is is that Christopher Lee's in that movie for like four minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't really want to do the last couple Dracula films. And yeah. the scripts just really didn't revolve around him. They're like, well, you got like five minutes of screen time here. Man. We'll <laughs> give you like 100,000. So fucking he's like, sure. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he still he doesn't he doesn't call in the fucking, you know, the performance either. Mm-hmm. Know, he's, he's still good in them. But it, it's weird to see those in modern times and shit. But yeah, still pretty cool. And that's it for the news, man. Fucking thing sucks. I am the devil and I am here to do the devil's work. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for? If not for shedding. I like to dissect girls. 
Did you know I'm utterly insane? Have you checked the children? Children. children. What do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Oh yeah, moving along with the show into the what we watch portion or the dub dub dub. Yeah, it's where we go round tree, review some films, give some ratings, pass it along, and yeah. You're actually going to hear Jeremy in this uh, segment. He literally called these in. He phoned these in. Well, with that said, why don't he go first? Yeah, Jeremy, start us off. All right, what's going on, everybody? Even though I am not on the show this week, I still need to get my What I Watch picks done because I have a shit ton of Patreon films. So, I am still going to give you my dub-dub-dubs. So, sorry, I could not be on the show this week. I had to work. And during the wintertime, I gotta work when I gotta work because sometimes there's not any work. So, first up, going to be talking about a VHS staple film, a film that was, you know, insanely popular during the VHS era, and that is the film Dead Pit. Now, this is the first time I've watched Dead Pit, and, uh, you know, like I said, it's iconic with the VHS era. Uh, You know, the old box used to come with the uh, lit-up green eyes, and uh, when you press the button, the lights on the cover would light up. Uh, I think Anchor Bay released that VHS, but... Uh, this is the first time I watched it. I've had the Code Red DVD for a while now. So I figured since I got a Patreon pick for it, I would check it out. And this comes from the muscle dude himself. So let's talk about Dead Pit. Dead Pit is an interesting film in the sense that, it, like I said, it's a very low-budget kind of a film. And it it has a cool setting and atmosphere. I just feel like the film is fucking boring most of the time. I mean, it has, like, awesome lighting at some points at the beginning of the film for a low-budget movie. I mean, it's it's not bad lighting. Uh, you know, we see a lot of these greens and, and neon colors uh, iconic uh, for this film. And it's nice, you know, for a low-budget film. But, I mean, after that, it just turns into another muddled, bluish kind of a tint kind of film the entire time. But basically, we follow this doctor in this mental hospital that is doing these experiments to uh, these patients to pretty much turn them into zombies. He's operating on their brains, basically turning uh, their emotions into mush. And uh, and one day, as he's doing experiments, the main doctor of the hospital uh, happens to... Uh, you know see these things happening and he kills this doctor this evil doctor by shooting him in his head and basically he closes or you know shuts this basement where all these horrible things are happening and um you know gets on with his life now 30 years later we follow our main character now named jane doe and jane doe is a person who can't remember anything of her past up here comes the plot twist folks but she can't remember anything of her past, so she gets sent to this, you know, this mental hospital, and there's an earthquake one day, and it ultimately opens up the floodgates of this closed-off basement that this head doctor closed off 30 years ago once he killed the evil doctor. All his minions come back to life, 
and start, you know, attacking the other uh, patients in this mental hospital. And that's basically about it. That's the fucking plot of the film. I mean, the movie's fine. I'm not a huge fan of it, to be completely honest. I find the film to be rather boring. The zombies don't even show up until like an hour and five minutes into the film. So you're spending 65 minutes with these characters that you really have no connection with. I mean, they're fine. It's a low-budget film, so you're not going to have the highest uh, acting skills in these kind of films. So you don't really care about them. The only main character that you actually enjoy is this inmate who is basically fucking the system and he's a criminal and he's just pleading mentally insane so he could get into this mental hospital and be out in a few months instead of having to go to the knocker for a while. So that he's really the only interesting character and the only character that you really root for. But besides that, I mean, you really don't care about any of these fucking other characters. And then finally when the zombies show up, I mean, it's fine, but they're not even that interesting. You mean, they're just normal-looking zombies, and there's not even that many, like, interesting kills or anything like that. It's just, it's just not a film that I really enjoyed. It has nothing to do with the fact that I don't like zombie films or anything like that. It's just the fact that I just didn't enjoy the movie, and I didn't like watching it or anything like that, and I thought that it didn't really have any interesting traits to it that made it a good film. I know a lot of people like this movie. I don't understand why, but it just wasn't for me. So for that, I give Dead Pit a 4 out of 10. All right, after that compelling review, I guess I will go next. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the only Patreon uh, pick that I got to this week um, is a film from Fan of Eli. Uh, I actually just watched this a couple minutes before we started recording. Um, finished up just in time. Um, and that is Storm Morning from 2007. Funny enough, I actually did review this film on the show before. Um, I thought I had when I, I saw him give it to me. And I was going to ask him for uh, if he wanted to give me something else, but I selfishly was like, you know what? I'm not pressing my luck. My luck, I'll get some two-hour foreign Asian film. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it had been so long since I'd seen this film. Episode 20 was when I reviewed it that I felt like it was so far away that I didn't mind revisiting it at all. So I decided to just go with it. And uh, Storm Warning uh, follows a couple who are boating in sort of a – you know, uh, almost like a, you know, very secluded area kind of near an island in like the swampy water. Uh, and they get caught out in a storm where they happen upon uh, a trio of, you know, backwoods type hillbillies, but Australian versions. Um, you know, where <laughs> you probably know like the type of movie, you know, it's, it's, it's your standard, you know, deliverance, like backwoods, like, um, hillbilly type guys. And, uh, they pretty much immediately start harassing the two. Um, they basically, the couple, uh, you know, runs into them, runs away from that, like, you know, avoids them and then ends up at their house. They kind of investigate the house to look for a phone. The, uh, three people show back up and, uh, you know, they're not very cordial at all they're very you know very much harassing and and being very standoffish from the beginning usually with these films you see a little bit of like you know oh yeah sure i'll help you out you know i'll take you into town tomorrow type thing but they're pretty much dickheads right away 
Um, <laughs> and the, it's funny because they actually are dickheads. Then they calm down and they're a little nicer. Then they're dickheads again. <laughs> um, and it's basically this husband and wife. And they're kind of, you know, psychologically being tortured a little bit. You know, l- let me see your wife's ass. Stuff like that. Um, kill this baby kangaroo. Um, and then the wife, the wife basically takes control of the situation. At first, she's like, I, I noticed this this time watching it. The whole beginning scene, she's like hiding behind her husband and like all like weak willed and stuff like that. And she pretty much takes over the movie. Um, and actually, the revenge part happens so late in the film. Like, there's only like, you know, the, half hour left when you're like holy crap they got to wrap this up pretty soon um and you know she gets kind of revenge on them and um she kind of almost goes jigsaw on their ass like like i remember when i reviewed this the first time booby traps yeah yeah booby traps (laughs) i remember when i reviewed this the first time my biggest problem with the film was how unrealistic the like booby traps were with like the fish hooks and stuff like that but are booby traps ever realistic though I like, mean, like, some, every, like every once in a while you're like, oh yeah, that that would probably work. But most of the time you're like, man, even MacGyver yeah, could make that shit super work. Super elaborate. <laughs> like the fish hook thing is like massively elaborate. Yeah. Um, but this time watching it, knowing that that was coming, I've, I like accepted it more or something. It didn't bug me as much. So um, I actually came up on my rating on this one. Um, I do think that the hillbilly characters are like – kind of one note in terms of like you've seen this a million times they're playing them like exactly how they've been played a million times and i don't know if that's necessarily but i think it's because those type of characters are naturally just one track minded anyways so there is no diversity there is there isn't gonna be you know that that mood switch with them and things like i think that's just the way it has to be yeah it's I mean, they they pretty much play exactly what you would expect. I so, think honestly, I, I though, like not. like if you have those type of characters and the directors leaning towards making them kind of sympathetic, it's like, dude, they're fucking dicks. They're harassing people. They're making yeah, them no, do I, crazy I shit. I definitely <laughs> wouldn't make them sympathetic, but I just yeah. mean like the the they're very much a carbon copy of what those characters usually are. Um, I will say, yeah. there's even like the. There's a scene where I swear to God, I've seen this in so many movies like revenge movies and especially like rape revenge movies, but where the woman like gets the like younger, like not as intelligent brother and is like, you're not like the other ones, you know, (laughs) does that whole thing. And, uh, I think that that whole type of scene has worn so thin on me that I was like eye rolling at it. Uh, but Man, yeah, you know what? The film opens up it's shot pretty well, like at the beginning. I like the location. Uh I didn't mind the saw esque type, you know, traps as much this time. Um the characters get their, you know, comeuppance and stuff and you know, I actually you know, I'm actually coming up a half point on this one versus the last time I watched it. I gave it a seven point five last time. I'm gonna hit it with an eight this time. Uh, it's a good movie. It's part of that dimension extreme line that um, released a lot of good movies, um, and yeah, it's only available on DVD. But you know, this was this was a fun time when they were importing a lot of these, uh, you know, 
films from other countries and stuff. I haven't but, seen it in a long time, but is the couple Australian or or are they American? Uh, no, the couple is American, French, oh, and Australian. One is maybe one's Australian. Either one's English or Australian, and then the wife is French. Okay, yeah, I I, I thought that they weren't like straight up Australian. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like the the setting though is really cool in that film. Like it, it literally is pissing rain through a lot of it too. I, am I correct on that, or am I just tripping? Yeah, yeah, it's raining like the whole entire movie. Yeah, I like that man. I like that idea. That's cool, man. I gotta rewatch that one. It's been years, man. I think I probably said that last time you reviewed it too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like four years ago. <laughs> I do remember liking it though. I thought it was, I mean she. But you're right, though. She start. I remember her starting out as a pussy, and then by the end, like the guy is like a total pussy. You know, yeah. like she takes over and just totally fucking you know steals the show and stuff, which is maybe a little bit re- unrealistic. I don't know. Yeah, it's. All I right. mean, I guess it could happen. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it goes either way, I guess. Really. Yeah, but thanks for that, fan of Eli. I um, I enjoyed revisiting that one. That was cool. It's short too. That's that's a, it's it flies by, man. That movie flies by. It's like an hour and twenty seven minutes or something. It flies by. Yeah, it's pretty much a ninety minute movie. <laughs> All right, so first one up for tonight is from Tyler. That's it, Tyler. <laughs> I always find it funny when it's just <clears throat> when you're on like a first name basis with someone. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so impersonal. It's like you're just ty- – there's like millions of Tylers out there. But this one's from Tyler. Uh, he gave me the 1994 John Waters-directed film Serial Mom. Now, <laughs> I don't know if he knew that I love this movie. But, man, I have always thought this movie is is insanely underrated. John Waters is a dra- I mean, he's pretty infamous for, you know, Pink Flamingos and all the kind of smutty and, you know, extreme shit that he did back in the day and stuff. This movie is so fucking funny and smart. It's hilarious, man. It's got a great cast, too. It's starring Kathleen Turner. She plays the, you know, the perfect housewife and perfect mom. Uh, her husband's Sam Walterson. Uh, we got Ricky Lake as one of the kids. And Matthew Lillard actually is the is her son in the film. So pretty cool cast. You got Justin Whalen's in the film, uh, who was of course um, Andy in Child's Play Three. Yeah, Child's Play Three he plays the friend Scotty and shit. Now, basically, the premise of the film is um, Kathleen Turner. She plays like this all American perfect housewife, perfect mom. You know, lives in this, you know, white suburb, you know, just got a perfect life and everything. It, it's got a very Pleasantville type um, atmosphere and tone to the film. You know, everything is just perfect, you know. Uh, her husband's got a great job and stuff. but And, uh, of course, Kathleen Turner's character is not exactly who she seems to be. Uh, to everyone, she's this perfect mom. But on the inside, she's actually a rampaging murderer. And she has a knack for just harassing the shit out of people and killing at will. <laughs> I love this setup. It, it sounds kind of corny and kind of something that you've seen before. You probably have. But it's done really, really well. There's a lot of really great jokes in this. I love the whole setup with the son. Uh, uh, Matthew Lillard's character's name is Chip. And they introduce him. And he's a really, really big horror fan. He loves horror movies. 
and he loves Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, you know, like actually in the movie, he's even watching Blood Feast. He's got all these awesome posters, like the aesthetic of his room is something that I love. And like I lose focus of dialogue in scenes like that because I've, I've mentioned this many, many times in the show how much I love to watch the walls and I always pick out posters and things that are in the background that usually people don't really notice in films. It's kind of hard not to miss these to hard to miss these ones in this one. But, but anyways, he's a big horror fan and you know, he's watching blood feast and fuck. He's got all these crazy posters. I absolutely love this shit. And there's this funny ass scene where <laughs> Kathleen Turner's character, the uh, obviously the mom, she, uh, she goes to, you know, chip school to talk to his math teacher and the math teacher says, you know, you know, he's a good student, but, you know, he's kind of, there's something wrong with him. You know, he's too much into horror films and, you know, shit like that. And, and, and we all know Chip is a perfectly normal person. And I love this play. I love the social commentary that's going on here. It's obvious, you know, people are just being judged for, you know, what they appear they are, you know, what they like in life and shit. You know, oh, you like hip hop music? I guess you're trying to be a fucking wigger. You know, it's that typical bullshit they hear every day in society. Um, this guy's into horror films. He must be a freak. He must be a mask murderer and all that other bullshit. Right. But you know, the flip side is the mom who appears fucking perfect is actually the homicidal maniac. I love this idea. It's great. And <laughs> in this funny ass scene, uh, she basically ends up killing the teacher in this funny ass manner. It's so funny, but the whole movie is just made up of brilliant social commentary. It's really fantastic. But I think one of the all time funniest scenes ever is the opening scene in the film where the mom, Kathleen Turner, is on the... She calls up... <laughs> she calls up her neighbor who she starts harassing. And you don't know why at first. And she's just like, you fucking cunt, cocksucker, fucking... Bitch. And she's just laying into it, right? Like, after she's been introduced as this perfect mom. It's the funniest scene. And then it flashes back to why she started harassing her neighbor with all these obscene phone calls. It is the funniest shit ever. It's kind of like the end of the movie Chop. If you've ever seen the movie Chop, the whole movie is just crazy. And then the reveal happens at the end. And it's one of those moments where you can't help but fall on the floor laughing. It's so fucking funny. It's one of those drop funny moments. It's so good. Um, But yeah, really, really great performance. Kathleen Turner knocks it out the park in this film. Like she's full-blown obviously the main character in the film she's in every scene she's such a great job there's so many funny kills and funny moments in this movie that you know great soundtrack john waters you know amazing dialogue that he wrote really really good stuff but uh can't recommend serial mom enough i'm going with a nine and a half out of ten it's one of my favorite dark comedies of all time and it comes from the 90s era uh definitely not a horror film it has lots of horror elements you know we get to actually see clips from even you know blood feast and things like that and it's got some nasty kills and shit but at the end of the day it is a dark comedy but definitely worth your time screen factory actually did the movie a lot of pleasure by putting out a collector's edition of the film and i remember when i picked it up people were laughing at me saying really you fucking picked up serial mom why'd you pick up serial mom and i'm like it's funny as hell like, have you ever seen it before? It's directed by John Waters. Oh, really? You know, I, I think this movie was kind of overlooked and wasn't really, you know, it didn't really get its props. I, I still think that people don't recognize this one. So do yourself a favor. Go and check out Serial Mom if you're into dark comedies and shit because it's definitely worth your time. Serial Mom. 
Hmm. All right. I've never seen it. Uh, it sounds pretty fun, though. It is absolutely like <laughs> I watched it last year, and then of course I got this Patreon pick, and so I had to rewatch it. Loved it even more. I was pissing myself. It's so fucking funny, man. It's great. I'm sure Jeremy. Jeremy's got to love this movie. I know he's a he's a John Waters fan. Um. So and and he I know he digs this type of dark comedy shit. And the mm-hmm. fact that it's full of social social commentary, it's great. It's got so many great scenes. You just, you just kind of laugh at it because, you know, he's not being overly subtle about things, but he kind of is too in certain aspects of it. And it's it's great. It's a great film. So well, speaking of Jeremy, you're up. Yep. All right. Next up, we have a film from the notorious fucking douchebag, Mikey Fisher. Oh boy, guys, what are we going to get into this time around from the legendary guy who loves to give me shitty movies for no fucking reason? And guess what, everybody? We have to deal with two horrible movies this month from Mikey Fisher. Lucky us. All right, let's get this motherfucking done with. We have Don't Cut the Grass Anymore from the year 1985. I don't know if this is a shot on video film or what. I, I think it was shot on 8mm, but it has a very shot on video kind of feel to it. Really retarded plot that doesn't fucking go anywhere. And uninteresting characters. I mean, our main two killers are somewhat interesting, I guess, but they're fucking just absolutely annoying. And insanely hard watch. This movie is just a gore film. If this movie came out back in the day during the Exploitation Grindhouse years i think the film probably would have succeeded a lot more in that market but in 1985 we have fucking movies like back to the future and the breakfast club coming out why do we have to have this schlock even be put in front of our eyes so we follow these two guys they're like gardener kind of characters and they're basically serial killers and they're obsessed with going around to upstate new york and murdering the yuppie fucking kids who are living there because they're, you know, they're like rednecks, do 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 kind of characters who don't really fit in with society or anything like that. So they go up to upstate New York and they murder all these teenagers, and that's about it. And they do it in extreme close-up, shot-on-video gore kind of um, aesthetics. I mean, it the gore is good. If you're looking for, like, a gory film, this movie definitely will deliver the goods. But I don't really care for that very much. I like narrative and character development and shit like this and things like that and this movie definitely doesn't have anything near that level of uh development i mean it's just a shock film um with good gore vaginas cut off barbie doll murders yes i said it barbie doll murders there's actually barbie dolls being murdered instead of people and it's absolutely fucking retarded but I'm stuck having to watch it because that no good son of a bitch Mikey Fisher makes me watch it. And like like I said, it's like extreme close-ups of these two guys like crushing in skulls and pulling out intestines and that kind of shit that's super uninteresting to me in, uh, in a personal aspect. And it's not shot well at all. It's fucking horrible. Of course, as you expect, the acting is horrible. This is not a film that I enjoy, and I don't understand how this came out in 1985. I can understand if it came out in, like, the mid-70s, but it came out in 1985, and it's just fucking insanely stupid. So, as you can tell, I do not recommend They Don't Cut the Grass anymore from 1985. The DVD is hard to find now, so luckily you won't have to sit through this shit like I had to. 
but I don't recommend it, so I give it a 2 out of 10. All right, after that informative review. <laughs> yeah, another. Wow. Jeremy, you're yeah. on You're on fire tonight, man. You're yeah. Fire. Uh, I actually am going to be reviewing a film that I, I never have reviewed on this podcast before, um, but I have seen it, and that is 1933's King Kong going way back. I actually watched this in the theater this week. Uh, so I figured I would talk about it a little bit. Um, I think I, I'd seen it when I was a kid on TV, like on black and white TV, actually, which, you know, good because it's black and white. Um, but I remember seeing this a few times as a kid, like I don't really, I didn't really remember it. And then I think I revisited it on DVD when I picked it up. I might've reviewed it for, uh, one of my 31 days of horrors, one of the years, um, but I hadn't seen it since. Uh, seeing it on a big screen, wow, man. This movie is just amazing. Like, it really is. It's truly an amazing cinematic achievement. Like, even it hold, first of all, it holds up as a movie today. It's still highly entertaining. Like, yeah, you could see the rough around the edges, you know, effects and stuff. But at the time, it's almost like astonishing how crazy this movie would have been to make and how big it probably felt because you're watching it and you're just like wow like this is actually kind of fucking scary like i could totally see this being like terrifying to see because you're like see this big ass monkey's face and stuff but anyway it follows uh, a filmmaking a filmmaker who is in new york uh who wants to make a movie he typically makes them in like jungle settings and he wants to make a new film, um, but he won't tell the crew of the ship where he's making it. Uh, so he basically, you know, because he's, you know, well known and stuff, basically tells him, like, just go here. And then once we get to this point, I'll tell you guys where we're going. He also recruits, like, a young girl off the street because he can't find an actor that'll work with him, uh, an actress that'll work with him. So he picks a, a random person off the street, you know, a beautiful girl. Uh, and they basically go to this mysterious island known as Skull Island. Uh, they start, you know, trying to, you know, make a film with the natives and things like that. And uh, essentially, they kidnap the natives. They kidnap the, you know, damsel in distress, essentially. And they offer her up to this godlike creature, which is King Kong, a giant ape creature. And it's up to the filmmaker and um, a uh, one of the crew on one of the guys on the sh- ship um, who falls in love with the girl, and you know they they have to rescue her and and also on Skull Island there's like a bunch of dinosaurs and stuff. Um, man, dude, like I, I just was so blown away with this. I I'd always liked it and I'd always rated it, you know, pretty high. It's a damn well made movie. A cla- it's a classic, um, but. I couldn't imagine. I didn't. I didn't expect to be so into it. You know, film from 1933. So into it. Um, even though I knew how good it, I knew it was respected and stuff. I didn't expect to find myself that into it. Uh, even though I had seen it before too. But I was so into it at the theater. I was like, this is amazing. Seeing it on the big screen. You know, like this huge screen and seeing uh, how grand the film felt. It was just cool, man. And, you know, like, the the stop motion is still so cool, dude. Like, it looks so neat. And, you know, when King Kong, like, 
breaks one of the lizards and one of the like the uh, dinosaurs mouth jaw and you know starts like playing with it to see if he's dead like that it still looks so cool and one of the things i was super surprised with that i kind of forgot is how violent the movie is like the movie is incredibly violent like king kong drops like he when he's shaking that tree like five people fall dummy deaths you know fall to their death and smack the ground super hard and stuff like that and he pulls this woman out of a fucking skyscraper and just drops her like you know she ain't living from that um super cool uh obviously there's some great social commentary especially for 33 you know about you know us invading and just taking stuff for our own greed and shit like that and you know letting nature be nature and you know not trying to play god and stuff like that it's really cool i mean 1933 man i mean this is amazing stuff uh i absolutely loved king kong it it, i had recently watched the 76 version for when we did the 76 show and i i actually like peter jackson's version but i do agree that it's too long um this is definitely from the ones that i've seen the the better the best king kong and also i like it way more than godzilla like way more i just think that there's so much more going on in this one than than godzilla and the scenes are so good um but that's that's for sam because we go back and forth on that Uh, but yeah i'm i'm coming in at a, a nine and a half out of ten on on king kong man i mean it yeah it has it's 1933 it has some flaws but it's fucking amazing it's amazing it really is i agree though man the uh, the effects in that movie still hold up yeah they're, dude they're, they're super awesome. they're super cool man yeah because uh i got the um like a digibook version of it and that transfer mm-hmm. is like ridiculous on it like, man. Yeah, I have it on a crappy blue uh, DVD that has like Sun, uh, or King Kong Escapes with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I got at Walmart for like five dollars or something. So I, I need to upgrade that yeah. bad boy. Yeah, I, I think you can get like a standard dish. I, I know that uh, Digibook's out of print or whatever, but mm-hmm. but definitely but yeah, worthy. King Kong is so good. Yeah, it's worthy of an upgrade for sure. Uh, okay, man. Next up here is a film coming from another Patreon pick, and it is from Gino Cyber. Well, I think that was the first time I read that name, Gino yeah, Cyber. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> okay, uh, I don't know this person, uh, and they chose a film called. Wicked City from 1987. This is a animated film um, that I knew about. I have known about this film for years. Uh, but I'm glad that, you know, somebody went out of their way to, you know, to get me to watch this movie because it's always something I wanted to check out. But I, I need that nudge when it comes to anime and stuff. I always think that I don't care for this type of stuff. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh. Okay, you know, it's pretty cool. Um, and I've done that in the past a couple times with films. And I'm like, okay. So, knowing really nothing about the plot going into this, I just knew the title Wicked City. But it is basically about these 
two adjacent worlds, these kind of parallel universes, uh, one being uh, Earth, of course, and the other one being uh, the Black World, where, you know, these... Uh, it's it's kind of like a paradox world where all the demons and mutants of... That's where they live. They live in the Black World. And, of course, we've got Earth. And these two worlds have an agreement. They've signed a peace treaty that enables these two worlds to coexist together without, you know, massive war and destruction. Um, the key to these, uh, the peace treaty is this like 200 year old man. And he's the only person that can, you know, sign this peace treaty He's the guy basically controls this whole type of thing. Anyways, the peace treaty needs to be renewed. So this uh, world agent from, you know, from our universe and of course, this uh, this very beautiful mutant woman um, who is for the peace treaty. They kind of get together to protect this uh, this two hundred year old man because there is demons from the paradox world that want to murder him because they want to take over the universe. So if they can get their hands on him, they can you know they can or take over the uh, earth. So of course, these two agents they get together and now they got to protect this guy before you know so they can get to this peace treaty and, and sign these contracts and stuff. So everything will be back to the way it was. Um, it's a really interesting film. Actually, it's, it's a pretty quick watch. It runs about 80 minutes. Uh, I was very compelled, you know, it came out in 1987. I'm a really big fan of eighties animation. Um, I thought the animation was fantastic. The voice acting was really, really cool in this. Uh, the mutants look cool. I thought, yeah, I love watching these type of films because you know, they're for adults, you know, they're for adults. It's got animated tits and I'm just like, should I whip it out or not? Like, <laughs> no, I'm joking, but, but you know, it's, uh, it's got a lot of that, you know, it's got, it's really violent and it's got really cool scenes and stuff. The only down, the only problem I had with the movie that I really was not expecting was this total love subplot between these two agents and stuff. And this kind of, this whole love story that was developing and things. And I, I thought that it took away from, you know, the core of the story, I think that they could have incorporated a little bit more action considering it was a, you know, an animated film, you know, I could have done without the love interest, the love story aspect of it. But overall, man, I thought it was actually really cool, man. The, the 200 year old man was fantastic, man. Some of his lines, he was like this dirty old man. He just wanted to have sex with everything that moved. It's absolutely hilarious. I was pissed in my pants at some of the dialogue he was spitting. It was like ridiculous, but um, yeah, some really cool scenes, man. You know, at first I was like, is this even hard? But of course it is. It's got demons and mutants and it's got, you know, animated gore and kills and things like that. It's, it's a really dark film. Um, you know, I thought it was a very interesting watch and I can see why people are into this type of stuff. I, I haven't really seen a lot of these type of films, you know, these Japanese films, actually the one thing that really caught me off guard and I'm not sure if this is normal, but I did check out a few different uh, versions of it, but it was in English. It was like in English and it must be because the transfer that was, was from like good DVD version that it came out and I don't know if it was originally, it probably was originally in Japanese, but this version I watched was straight in English and it was just weird to see that. I don't know. Cause I have watched animated, animated movies in the past that were subtitled, you know? Um, so I think perfect blue is one of them. Actually I think that was Japanese. I can't even remember right now. I might be talking on my ass, but, but uh, all in all, man, really cool stuff, man. I actually really enjoy the shit of this and I am going to pick this up actually, if I can find a copy for a decent price, 
because they are kind of expensive. So, um, but thank you for picking this for me because I think it's, I shouldn't say rehash my love for these type of films because I never really had one. I didn't know I had that much, you know, ambition to watch these because I actually want to see more of this stuff now. It's actually pretty interesting, pretty cool stuff. So, um, Wicked City, I'm going to give it, uh, what did I rate this movie? Anyways, seven out of 10. It's pretty fun. I really enjoyed it. So, all right. And Jeremy, Jeremy, let's hear your third pick. All righty. Last up, we're going to be talking about the French extreme film, them from the year between 2006 and 2008. I can't remember what year it fucking came out. But them, part of the Fab Five of the French extreme horror films that came out during the from 2003 to 2009, eight or nine. And uh, this movie isn't a French extreme film. I don't understand why it's called a French extreme film. It doesn't have any of the traits of a French extreme film, but somehow it's called a French extreme film. Just because it's in French doesn't mean it's a fucking extreme movie, but I'll let it go for the sake of this review. So, what do I think about them? Well, we all know my opinion on The Strangers and my feelings towards that film. Of course, it's my second favorite horror film ever made. So, this film has a fairly uh, similar feel to The Strangers in the sense that it is a lot of suspense-based narrative storytelling with not too many, you know, effects and jump scares or anything like that. Instead, the director just likes to use a scene of complete darkness and just likes to look the camera in a shot without moving it or anything like that. And it creates an intense level of suspense in the audience because it's just, it's just, you, you're expecting a jump scare. We're, we're so programmed as an audience to expect a jump scare whenever we see a, a dull moment in a shot that we expect like, oh, here's a black forest. We're going to expect something to hop out of the forest. But with The Strangers and this film, we just are placed there with nothing actually happening. You know, it just holds for a long time and then the shot changes back to the, the, the main character and uh, the rest of the narrative goes, and it just creates an insane level of suspense that it's just it 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 really is fucking a horrifying, scary ass goddamn film. And I understand some people this isn't their kind of film, but it is my kind of film, and the movie truly is is scary and terrifying. So you just basically follow this couple, like it's very similar to Strangers. Narrative. You follow this couple. Uh, once a newly uh, hired teacher. And her husband is a writer and they go away one weekend to this house in the middle of the forest. And one night, uh, the teacher's car gets stolen by a uh, bunch of hoodlums. We don't know who these people are. We rarely ever see them. But after that, they start tormenting this couple, playing mind games with them and things like that. <laughs> and it ultimately ends in a twist of who these people are and what they're doing. And... It's just, it's just an insanely well-made, great film. And it just all has to do with amazing, well-done acting. No effects whatsoever. Uh, no over-the-top violence or anything like that. That's why I really disagree with the idea that this is a French extreme film. Because it really isn't. It really doesn't have anything 
related to the themes of a French extreme film. So I really don't know why people say uh, this is French extreme because it really isn't a French extreme film. But overall, yeah, this I've, I've seen this one once before a long time ago when I was really into my French New Wave uh, kick. So I re-watched it for the second time and um, I really, really did appreciate it more this time around. It's probably my my third favorite French extreme film behind uh, uh, High Tension and Inside. I mean, I, I, Martyrs is an amazing film. I love Martyrs. I think it has so many awesome things going on. And technically it's the better film, but from a personal level, I, I really did enjoy them. Uh, a little bit more, even though Martyrs has a little bit more substance when it comes to the narrative. But if you guys haven't seen them, I highly, highly recommend you check it out. It's really, really fucking good. Really solid. Some amazing, amazing, intense uh, horror scenes. And I really, really do recommend it. So I give them a 9 out of 10. All right. After that polarizing review. Damn, dude. Fire. Straight fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dumpster <laughs> variety <laughs> kidding. Kidding. Um, I, I don't know what one to do last let me see um, let me check out my letterbox uh, alright um, uh, I guess I'll do Greta which is a film I saw in the theater last week um, Greta is sort of a, a thriller film starring Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, basically, Chloe lives with so her. Must, so it must be a remake then. No, actually, it's not. <laughs> I mean, the, it's probably similar to other films. Yeah. Um, but it basically follows um, Chloe Grace Moretz's char- character, uh, who lives in New York or Chicago or some city. I think it's New York. Uh, actually, it could be Chicago, actually. I don't even know. Um, and she lives with her friend, and they kind of, you know, are doing their thing. And uh, she works as, like, a, a waitress at a restaurant. And she's riding the subway one day, and she finds a purse. And she takes it back home. And of course, she's the type of girl who doesn't really want to go through it. Her friend's like, fucking, look, cool money. Let's keep it. And she's like, no, no, we got to give this back, you know, doing the right thing, which I would do that too, honestly. Um, and she finds the uh, ID or something in the bag and takes it to this person's house. Um, and the woman that answers the door's name is Greta. And she and Chloe Grace Moretz's character, you know, she invites her in for coffee and they kind of hit it off a little bit. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz's mother is dead um so she kind of has that is missing that older woman figure in her life uh and her and greta start getting along very well she's hanging out she's kind of blown off her friend to hang out with greta because she promised and stuff like that uh her friend's giving her shit for it of course because she's like dude she's like a weird old lady that you're like friends with you know um you find out that greta had a little bit of her backstory like she had a daughter um, who she lives in like Paris or something like that. And, uh, Chloe, um, basically gets into her cabinet, um, at one point 
and there she notices a uh, purse. She she opens a cabinet and notices a bunch of the same purses that she found on the bus. And inside the purse also is copies of an ID. So immediately you realize, like, holy crap, this woman leaves these purses everywhere and is trying to lure people in to either be her friend or for some other sinister motive. But right away, that makes you kind of um, weary of her. And, you know, what kind of weirdo lady is this? Uh, and, and that's, you know, kind of, and Chloe kind of breaks it off with her. And this woman is basically stalking her and showing up everywhere and, you know, ma- terrorizing her essentially. Um, I actually loved this movie. <laughs> Funny enough, not I hadn't seen really anybody giving it a great review. Um, but I really liked this movie. I thought it was a great thriller. Uh, and I actually would say that it is a horror film um, because of a certain few things that happen in the film. I think that it crosses those boundaries into the you know safe thriller uh, territory into the sadistic horror area. Um, I think that I really liked, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz as an actress. I I think she's good in this film. Uh, she's very cute and just has a likable personality in this film. Uh, and Greta is actually pretty creepy. You know, there's actually a few scenes where she's, you know, actually kind of scary. Uh, and what actually, you know, transpires towards the end of the film is actually kind of disturbing. So I was like, this is pretty cool um i think the biggest flaw with this film is it's not really anything new like we've seen these type of movies before where like the you know stranger or like the neighbor or something won't leave you alone and you know is like getting more and more into your life and you know uh we've seen that before but and that's probably the biggest flaw with this one is is we've seen it before um, but at the same time, it does enough interesting things uh, towards the end of the film to kind of make it a little bit unique. And uh, I thought that, honestly, like this is the best film I've seen this year so far. Uh, and I haven't seen anybody else even talk about it, let alone say that it was good. So um, it didn't really do too well at the box office. And I, I Jeremy is the only other person I've seen that seen it and he gave it a six so (laughs) um that's you know he didn't really care for it that much but uh i'm coming in at an eight wow yeah what is the 2019's bye-bye man for you or what um well considering (laughs) he thought bye-bye man was complete trash yeah uh because i think you were the only one that liked that movie too yeah i what i was pretty much but that one is more understandable why somebody wouldn't like it um because it, it's kind of it's like a pg-13 type thing this is actually an r film i believe mm. but cool yeah. yeah i don't know i don't know about that one <laughs> <laughs> uh all right man so last up here uh, another patreon pick coming from Aaron, again, another first name. That's it. Just Aaron. Uh, He chose the 2019 film Lords of Chaos. Now, 
I got to admit, man, when I heard that this was being made about the story, I was a little bit weary about this, about this, because there's, you know, this is such an infamous story. And I wanted to see how much truth they were going to put into this film and how much fiction and, you know, how much just Hollywoodness they were going to into, you know, that they were going to put into the film and stuff. And kind of got a mixed bag here, really. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of the band Mayhem, you know, they were uh, actually, well, basically this movie right here is actually kind of, it's not telling the story of Mayhem. It's telling the story of Erotimus, who started the band Mayhem in, you know, the mid 80s. And he is the creator of black metal, black Norwegian metal. And to this day, there's still credit as for the ones that, you know, started up that whole black metal wave and stuff like that. Um but this is the story of Eronymus's, you know, rise to the, you know, the black metal scene and also his death. It's not a spoiler. I mean, the film literally opens up with the narration um, from uh, uh, Rory Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's youngest brother, I believe, who actually plays Eronymus in this film, which I thought was very interesting casting. I was like, that's actually pretty cool. I, I thought it was cool. It kind of looks like him a little bit. Um but you know it's the the headline in the film it says this film is based on truth and lies and right there i was like fuck what have they done to this story so basically the story is eronymus he started up you know he's the creator of black metal and ultimately ends up getting murdered by a fellow bandmate who was there for a little while by the name of varg and the band Mayhem was infamous for the church burnings in Norway in the early 90s. This was fucking massive news, worldwide news. Like they, I can't remember how many churches it was. It was like 100 churches. And some of these churches were built in like the 1200s and shit that they just burnt. Now, the the way I'd always heard the story about Eronymus was that he was this huge ringleader. You know, he was responsible for you know the church burnings and and all this type of stuff now the movie itself portrays Eronymus a kind of a little bit different they make him out to be at first like he's this huge ringleader he's got all these ideas you know he's all into this death metal he's creating this whole new scene and things like that and then Varg comes along and Varg seems to be you know in the movie Varg is a fucking poser at first and he changes his ways and becomes like the true like he's keeping it real and all of a sudden Eronymus is this very sympathetic character and they, they treat Eronymus' uh, character like a fucking pussy, like a total poser in the movie, which I couldn't believe that's what it comes to in the film. And because the way I always heard it was that, you know, he really was this fucking, you know, he was kind of a dick and he had a lot of issues and things, but, you know, he was he was a lot more hardcore. Like he was actually responsible for a lot of these church words. He wasn't just talking because in the movie... He does a lot of talking and, you know, Varg is the one that does all the burnings in the film. And I, I don't really think it's truly like that. Varg is the one that went down in the end of this. Um, if you know anything about the murder with uh, Eronymus and Varg, it basically comes down to the fact that um, Varg actually claims that it was self-defense in the movie. It's just like straight up. He goes after him and murders his ass and shit because he got word that Eronymus wanted to kill him, but he was more or less joking in the film because like I said, they portray his character as kind of a fucking poser. He's talking a lot of shit, like 
like burning churches down and killing people and stuff, but he's not doing any of the shit in the movie. I, you know, I don't know, man. I, I honestly, I think they slandered Hieronymus a little bit in this film. I think he was a lot more, you know, he was a lot more bad. And they, I think the filmmakers really wanted to be sympathetic to somebody that had been murdered, you know, and, and really kind of put the evil onto Varg, who is actually out of jail now in real life. He served his time for the murder of Hieronymus and has a YouTube channel. I'm subscribed to it. I watch his chat. I watch his channel. It's very interesting. This movie comes out and he's been doing commentary every week on certain scenes and stuff from the film. He hasn't even seen the movie, but it's just like from comments and stuff. And he's just like, gives us, he gives us insight. And it's fucking weird to hear him talk about what went down with the murder of Hieronymus. Like, have you ever talked to somebody like that? Or like, just, I mean, for real, like it's just really, really fucking strange to, you know, even though it's just through YouTube, you still have this kind of connection, like, because you know the story, and it's just like, holy shit, this is mind-blowing. Like, the dude is time. It's cool. Um, but, you know, the overall product of the movie is more fiction. It's more Hollywood-based. It's it's more of what I thought it was going to be. You know, I, I, I didn't think that they were going to slander Ronimus like that as much as they did. I mean, in the movie, he has a girlfriend. Um... Apparently, Var claims that he was a closet homosexual. I don't know about that shit, but apparently he didn't have girlfriends and stuff. There's a lot of shit in the film, like these sex orgy scenes and stuff, and claims that shit didn't happen. Right down to the final murder scene where <laughs> where Varg actually goes to the apartment, he stabs him a bunch of times, stops stabbing Anonymous to make some fucking chocolate milk. Now... They're just making Varg look like this super, super inhuman, evil person. You know, they're really trying to put all the fucking, you know, just the evilness into the character. He's like, chocolate milk? He's like, that didn't go down at all. The real story is, is that Eronimus actually attacked him. He lost the battle, you know. You know, it was fight to the death at that moment. Varg murdered him in self-defense. So, but I will say, you know... From a movie standpoint, the movie isn't very, it's not true to the real story at all. In fact, it's just ridiculous what they did with Hieronymus and stuff. Um, I, I mean, I'm glad that they put the stuff with Dead in there. So another really interesting fact about Mayhem is, so Mayhem was looking for a lead singer. They put out an ad and they got this response from this guy nicknamed Dead. He was from Sweden he made his way over to Norway. He started fronting the band of Mayhem. And this guy had fucking problems, man. Like super, super deep psychological suicidal problem. Like he was really messed up. He had all these ideologies that really, in my opinion, influenced Euronymous from what I've read over the years and stuff like that into, you know, really what they became. You know, I mean, their whole thing was about how Christian had taken over the country and stuff like that. And it was, that's where all the church burnings and stuff comes into. So it was, it was ideologies from dead too, but he was insane, man. This guy was to the point, he was so insane that he actually killed himself in this house that the whole band was living together. And everybody knows the story. Um, and Euronymous finds the dead body. And instead of, you know, calling, you know, calling the police and reporting a suicide, he goes to the fucking store, buys a camera takes pictures of the dead body, which later they use on an album cover. A real dead fucking body on the album cover. It was like a live album that they did. Actually, they never even recorded their first album with Dead. Um, 
and the other interesting thing too that Eronimus was uh, notorious for was the fact that he made these necklaces out of skull fragments because he blew his head off with a shotgun and you know and he would give them out to each band member you know that joined the band and it was like a piece of dead skull now they do this in the movie this is in this is prevalent in the movie but there's a fucking scene in the end it actually kind of pissed me off that they threw this in there because this is they're really getting sympathetic with the Eronimus character there's a scene where Varg and Eronimus are sitting at this this table and they're kind of saying they're you know they're parting ways they're they're done with each other kind of thing and Varg is giving back this necklace to Eronimus and Eronimus is like you know what man fucking keep it dude it's just it's just chicken bone anyways I was like, really? They fuck the filmmakers put that shit in the fucking movie? Like, no. I thought that was complete bullshit. I really, really I was shocked to see something like that in there. Cause it was like one of those like infamous kind of nasty tales that turns out it's true. So with the the bone fragments and shit, but the skull fragments. But you know, as a film, I think Rory Culkin did a pretty good job. It's not like I've ever it's not like I really know you know, if his performance based on Eronimus's real life is, is accurate because it, it really can't be considering given the material and stuff, but Culkin does a good job in the film, to be honest, like really fucking good job. Really, really good job. I thought actually everybody did a, good, a really good job in this film. Uh, it's shot well, you know, it's, you know, obviously acted well. Music's cool. I mean, I like the fact that, you know, like I said, it, it's more about Eronimus, not about mayhem and or, the full on, you know, Norwegian death metal or black metal uh, scene and stuff. It's in there and shit. I did like the fact that they had the the record store stuff in there. Ronimus actually had a record store that he had opened it. Like it was all death metal and shit, which is really cool. Um, but uh, definitely more Hollywood, a lot more fiction putting in there. You know, they got to spruce things up, which they didn't have to. You know, it's the filmmakers, in my opinion, just pushed out in this movie and tried to make Varg look really really infamous and evil Anonymous, a fucking poser and that was my two word uh two word review on my letterbox was fucking poser and i was like <sighs> kind of upset me but overall i'm glad the film is out i thought it was pretty interesting so i mean even if you don't know the the story of mayhem um, you know, there's actually Mayhem is actually still going to. There's only one original band member left, but still going, which is actually pretty interesting. But even if you don't even know the actual story, still a decent watch. You know, you can definitely take some away from it. So, uh, um, I wouldn't say it, it's funny. This movie is categorized as a biography drama horror. I mean, I guess it has horror elements because it's like death metal, and there's, I mean, the murders. Th- there's a couple murders in the film. Um, I mean the scene with the 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 Eronimus's murder in the film is brutal. It's really really hyped up and brutal. But I wouldn't necessarily call this a horror film. It's a decent watch though. Decent watch. So, Lords of Chaos. All right. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty long. I feel like that was really long. Yeah, that was like a featured review. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I could probably talk about it for like ever because like after I watched the movie, it just kind of it was really the more I thought about it, the more it pissed me off with how they portrayed Eronimus's character in there. And it's like and then hearing Varg actually talk in his videos and stuff. And I was like, dude, I was thinking like 
there's even a video where he even defends Euronymous. Like, this guy killed him, and he's actually defending him to a point. You know, it, it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, I mean, speaking truth, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, if you're a fan and you know the story, you're probably going to hate the fucking movie, to be honest. Because, hmm. I mean, I mean, you know, the word on the street is a lot of metalheads and stuff are, like, super elitist and shit. And, like, they don't want these stories being altered and shit. And uh, mm-hmm. this is definitely a little more Hollywood, a little more fiction involved in there and shit. But, but yeah, cool stuff, though. And now, our feature presentation. All righty, moving along, getting into the featured reviews here on episode 155 with your boys, Moods, and JP. Jeremy's here in spirit. Actually, no, no, he's not in spirit. No. He's a Jew. He doesn't have a, there's no spirit involved there. Um, yeah, plus he didn't watch these movies, so fuck him. <laughs> oh, of course he didn't. Of course he fucking didn't, man. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, though, this is um, brought to you from our good buddy Sam. Patreon picked us way too long ago. We're finally getting to it. Uh, it seems like all his Patreon featured reviews are always fucked up. I think you got, or you and Jeremy did the Tetsuo films without me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I apologize. Sam. I don't know. Shit's just going down. It's just going yeah. down. Hey, we all did the thing together, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He did the thing, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Sam's on this feature review thing. That's crazy. So, uh, But, yeah, Sion Sono, a very imp- infamous uh, Japanese director. He's done a lot of really interesting films. His career spanned, you know, 20 years now, I think, or something like that. Um, and it was kind of all over the place. I haven't seen all of his movies. I'm not, like, one of those, like, diehard Sion Sono fans that sees like I know my boy Dylan man he's a big fucking fan like he he's even seen what's that one love exposure or whatever and it's like four hours long I'm like holy fuck dude Jeez. watching four hour movies man like but he but this guy's kind of all over the map with his genres and stuff and I, I like that about Japanese directors it's like Takashi Miike you know like he's all over the place with his with his genres his cues of films and all that type of shit but you know Sono's very similar in, in a sense but uh, but yeah first up here uh, that uh, Sam chose was a film from what did it come out? Two thousand one, mm-hmm. two thousand one called Suicide Club. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know when this movie came out, this actually had a little bit of a buzz. I think if YouTube was around then, I think people would have been spewing this one a lot more. Because I think by the time YouTube was around, I think it was kind of forgotten and stuff. I mean, you still hear you know, it, this film get mentioned and stuff, but I don't know, man. It, it seems like a film that I think would have made a little bit of buzz on the tube. Um, oh, little synopsis here. <laughs> a detective <laughs> is trying to find the cause of a string of suicides. That's all it's written on there. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, basically we have here got a really interesting opening scene in the movie um the setup is is where you got about 54 schoolgirls from various schools around japan basically clutch hands on the uh in this train station and they jump in front of a moving train and, and die 
Yeah. And, and it kind of sets mass off suicide. Yeah. This like mass suicide. Right. And then of course there's other suicides that happen and stuff. And yeah, there is a detective trying to figure out what the fuck is causing. It's not just suicides though. It's like mass suicides, you know, and like nobody can make any sense of what the hell is going on. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the movie is kind of based on a true story. Not really? these like, yeah, it's not, not like mass, mass suicides and shit, but it's based on a string of suicides that happened in the year 2000 in Japan. This was pretty big news actually, cause it was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. There was 33,000 suicides in Japan in, in the year 2000 alone. Hmm. That's a lot of motherfucking suicides, man. And I remember the, the, there was investigations. It's like, what? Like, is there something in the fucking water? Like, what the hell is going? Because, like, I mean, that suicide rate, you know, when it goes up like 100,000% in a year, <laughs> like, you kind of have to question things, right? It's, it's pretty interesting. But, um, but the thing about, you know, suicide in different cultures also means a little bit of different things though, too. Like suicide in, you know, in the Western world, you know, here in United States and Canada and stuff is looked upon as, it's not a good thing. It's, you know, a lot to a lot of people, it's kind of weak willed and, you know, it's just not good. People don't respect suicide where, Hell no. and you know, like it's, it's very, it's, it's very frustrating for us over here to, to understand a suicide, right? I mean, I understand it's depression. It's not, you know, necessarily their fault and stuff, but you know, you can't get help and things, but, but we're not talking about that here. We're talking about Japan where, you know, they believe, they also believe in reincarnation where we don't really in this part of the world. So suicide is a little bit, it's more accepted. It's still, I mean, people don't (laughs) want others to commit suicide, but they also believe that they're coming back. So there's, there's, a little bit of hope there you know if i kill myself you know i can come back and things like that and i think it's all kind of relative to what was going on there um the movie itself really really plays it's portrayed it it projects this thing about the people of japan being you know there's something around it may be i don't really know how to explain it but there's something there that connects everything. And Dude, I didn't fucking get this movie at all. Yeah, so basically... Um, I was like, wait, so is like... Is like the glam J-pop band like the re- reason everybody's killing themselves? It, it's part of it. You see, that's the thing. Like, I think the, w- the way Sono's trying to project the story and tell the story is that everything... All the people and everything is connected... And when you get disconnected from the connection, say it, w- whether it be, you know, you fall for, you know, pop culture and stuff. And like, you know, when, when you get so ingrained into something and you just kind of get disconnected from reality, sometimes you just kind of forget about, say, your family and things like that. And like you just you have those moments mm-hmm. where you feel like you're just kind of dis- like save with your friends, like you're really close to them. And all of a sudden something happens. You're kind of like, you know, you're just not as connected. You're kind of disconnected from them and stuff. I think that's kind of what he's projecting here. And once you get disconnected and something kind of invades that, like invades your mind and things, that's when disconnection happens and, you know, things like suicide and stuff follows. And I think the band in the film, which I can't remember what the fuck they're called now. Shit. It's like. It's like desert something. Yeah, it's dessert. I think it's dessert, actually. Um, And and they're kind of like the Japanese version of the Mickey Mouse Club in a sense. 
you know, they play these really, really poppy, corny fucking songs, and it's kind of like, ugh. And then that's, when you watch the movie, it does feel like they are the cause. Like, their shit is almost hypnotizing people into committing suicide. Yeah. But I, I think it's just a it's just a factor, you know, in what's going on here. Because they do project, like, you know, the whole, um, the connection, like, trying to rebuild the connection with, you know, the skin grafts. It, you know, and shit like that. And I'm just like, holy fuck, this what, is like... What a... the fuck was up with that? Like, who's cutting people's skin off? Yeah, right? I know, like, there's things that aren't necessarily fully flushed out in the film and i and i think so no fucking idea what this movie is about like all of a sudden it seems like fairly straightforward you have like yeah this police procedural like okay everybody's killing themselves let's figure out why and then like in the middle of the fucking movie all of a sudden you got these weirdos that start playing music and while this girl gets raped under a sheet that for some reason she can't get out of afterwards. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like I, what is going on? Well, here? the story is told from all those different points of views, right? Like all those things aren't actually connected into a linear storyline. They're all, see, par- I, they're, I didn't even know that because see, I fucking can't tell anybody apart in these fucking movies. See, they're all, <laughs> I mean, they're all telling the story of the connection and disconnected, right? It, just from different, ad- like what, what, like there's a part in the film well, actually, we know a lot about our detective, right? He's obviously very disconnected from his family, right? Mm-hmm. He's got this, you know, obviously he's his, his he's has problems with his wife and his child and things like that. Family life isn't great. He's disconnected to the point where, you know, he ends up committing suicide. He kills uh-huh. himself. Like, he's so disconnected. He's so disinvolved in things and, and shit. And it's just like, that's one part of the explanation to what is going on here. You know, it's, I think it's a lot easier to understand than if you just kind of look at it, like this isn't that linear. I mean, it's all in the same timeline, you know what I'm saying? But these things aren't actually necessarily connected. I mean, the the scene where the kids are on, on the top of the school, right? Like that that scene is just fucked, man. Like, (laughs) so kind of goes a little bit Japanese in that part where generally when you jump off a building, Blood doesn't, you know, spatter up like 30 feet and people don't lose ears and shit. <laughs> Did you watch the uncut version when the fucking ears like stuck up on the edge of the building? I, I don't even know. I watched the version on YouTube. <laughs> oh, okay. I have no idea. Because there, there is a cut version where there there is some of that shit that's cut out. Like, do you remember, you know, in the opening scene where the train hits all the girls? Yeah. Um. Did you see the girl's head explode? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah cuz I know that's a, that's cut. Definitely cut out of that. Yeah. Um actually Carly owned this on DVD and I didn't even get it. I didn't even know or else I would have borrowed the fucking DVD instead of watching it on YouTube. Uh what is up with the dots on the website? What does that fucking have to do with anything? Um I'm not actually 100% sure what that's supposed to signify. Cause at first it seems like it is something to do with, with the body count. Yeah. Um, with the like suicide club. Yeah. With the suicide club. And that's what it appears. It is. I think that's what it might be or something. Mm-hmm. I, not a hundred percent sure exactly what the, I, what I the, thought this fucking movie was like, so just, I was like, what I, I, I just did like for a movie called suicide club, it has some cool stuff in it, you know, like the, the opening scene is like pretty, you know, 
powerful. You know, you got a fucking massive amount of girls just jumping in front of a train. Like, it didn't look that great. Um, they didn't really – like, it's obviously pretty low budget and they couldn't just do a, an insane massacre or something. But, yeah, you know, the concept in your head is there. Mm-hmm. And and that's cool. And then I just I don't I just I, I, I thought it was too fucking convoluted and weird. It was muffled. It was just like, what is going on with this fucking movie? And the skin rolls were cool. It's fucking weird and creepy. But yeah. I'm like it like I'm thinking like, is there like a serial killer behind this? Like is like what is like See, I think the is point- it just supposed to be depression? Like is the is it like a like a it just infects people. See, in a sense, you know, it kind of is that, you know, it's, it's the simple fact that, you know, when they were trying to figure out the hell was going on in, in 2000 in Japan with all the suicides and stuff, they never really came to a conclusion what the fuck was going on. So I think that's Sono's way of kind of displacing, you know, the idea that you could figure this out and just kind of showing, showcasing, imagery and just kind of creating this whole idea of connect being connected and disconnected with reality and and uh to the point where you know you actually commit suicide i mean see the interesting thing is every time someone kills himself in this film they're generally not under duress you know except for the the detective you know because he was obviously dealing with more than just the case yeah. itself he was dealing with his family his kids like he had a lot more going on so he you know he just decided it was a little bit too much and stuff but you look at all these scenes like everyone's happy and shit like everyone's holding hands and they're not afraid to do it and things and you know he's really trying to stress that you know and i think the the detective's suicide was you know it was just kind of the flip side of the coin you know there is also these cases and shit but yeah it's very t- it's very you know, it's it's Japanese filmmaking where, you know, you are watching the film going, dude, this thing makes little to no sense. But if you look at it, <laughs> if you look at it in the aspect of it's not, you know, all these things aren't, I mean, they're linked to the core story, but themselves aren't, you know, they're not linking the characters and, and all those things together and stuff. So, yeah, I have no fucking idea what, about this movie. Like, I didn't, I, I'll be honest, I didn't really like this. <laughs> I mean, it's understandable. I mean, if you didn't understand it, but I mean, that's what I took it away. I've seen the movie twice now. And the first time that's what I got from it. And that's still my idea really didn't change about it. I've heard people talk about the whole, there's just something there, man, you know, with the being connected. And then once you get disconnected and, you know, that, and the whole idea of reincarnation and things like that, which isn't really played on a whole part, but the red dots might also be that too. I thought yeah. of that. I thought of that also, you know, that's what they reincarnate into and fucking dot. <laughs> yeah. Um, know? so yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't really have much to say about this film. Honestly, like I kind of hated this movie a little <laughs> bit. Like I didn't, I thought it was, I thought there was some cool scenes and actually I didn't even mind the, uh, like J pop singing that was going on. I actually kind of thought it was pretty cool. Um, dude, the wife, just, came, the wife just, came downstairs. I was, like, I was watching yeah. this fucking movie, and she like comes down. And she's like, she's like, she's like, what the fuck are you? What what is that? That's it, what I was saying was while I was intro- watching it. I was like, what the fuck are you watching? No, what, was, what is? This? It was on that J-pop shit at the end, like, in, but like I think it was the end credits or something. It's like, ding, all right. <laughs> it's like all this crazy shit. She was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, never mind, man. <laughs> like, just never mind. 
Yeah, I didn't really like this movie. Um, I'll still give it a six, I guess. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty cool, man. I mean, you know, the whole... It should be a lot cooler for being called fucking Suicide Club. That sounds rad. Yeah, I think if you watch it from a different perspective, though, like, of... It's it's hard to explain, though. You know, I, I think... It's just, mm-hmm. It makes a lot more sense in their culture than than our culture. I mean – Yeah, there's definitely a cultural disconnect on this one. I'll tell you that right for now. For sure, for sure. I mean it's like anything, right? When you're, <laughs> when you're trying to understand someone's beliefs and, and things like that, it's just – there's obvious – you're always going to have that cultural confusion, you know? You're like, mm-hmm. really? Like what the fuck? Like I mean, you know, you look at fucking – you know, in India with cows being sacred and shit. I'm like, motherfucker, take my ass to McDonald's right now. <laughs> You know, it's it's just it's different, right? So, um, Suicide Club, though, I actually really enjoyed watching it again. It's it's a trippy movie. It's got a lot of really insane imagery, um, like most of these type of movies and shit. I think the idea is interesting. I like the fact that he made this movie right after that that insane two thousand year with all the suicides and shit, and this was kind of his, you know, his reaction Response. to it. Yeah, it was kind of his reaction. Yeah. You know, just kind of. I don't even think he was trying to make sense of it. I think he was just trying to put something together, you know, and because you really can't make sense of that many suicides. It's crazy. I mean, I understand Japan has like billions of people. It's insane, but not literally billions, but you know what I'm saying? 33,000 suicides is still a lot, no matter how you look at it. It's crazy. Um, But yeah, I, I, I'm coming in at an eight. I think it's pretty good. Um, I, I would maybe need to watch it again if I – not anytime soon, but if one day maybe rewatching it would make me dig it a little bit more. But yeah, I didn't – I don't really care for it. Okay. Well, moving along here uh, into 2005. So we go from the beginning of the 2000s to the middle uh, with a film called Strange Circus. I watched these out of order. This is the one I watched last. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Strange Circus, yeah, 2005. Actually released on Christmas Eve, 2005. Oh, really? Wow. Weird film. The <laughs> Mag- imagine watching. Eve. Imagine getting this for a Christmas present or whatever, and watching it. Oh yeah. my god, what a weird fucking. Um, yeah, synopsis. Uh, the erotic novelist Taiko is writing a morbid story of a family destroyed by incest, murder, and abuse. Her assistant, Waiju, sets on a mission to uncover the reality of his of this story, but the reality might be too much to bear. Again, you Yeah, know- so this one's told in sort of a non-chronological type of way as well. Like, we're getting flashbacks, yeah. but then you're not really sure if, like, because at first we're presented with this story of this father who uh, – this daughter, 12-year-old, super young, uh, sees his her parents having sex um, and the well, father basically – I wouldn't say sees. He, she's kind of forced to watch her. No, parents. no, no. First she just sees. I oh, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then the father basically you know, starts – uh, molesting her and then there's this weird fucking cello case where <laughs> she puts he puts her inside the cello case and you know there's a hole in it and she's watching her parents have sex and then 
vice versa and um there's this whole the vice versa is a thing that's used a lot in this film because they the the met it's like a metaphorical like me and my mother would switch people i would become my mother my mother would become me type thing when she was being raped and stuff and then that plays into the whole end of the film you know it's kind of interesting right like once you get to the it's one of those movies where once you get to the end and, and the reveal you're like everything leading up to it totally made sense yeah it actually did right and, you know i i was a little fucking taken back by what happened like how it all played out it's i wasn't so really fucking expecting weird. It. it's so weird it, it, it this is a very weird movie i will say this is this is a step up for me from <laughs> the uh last film that we talked about uh yeah suicide club mm-hmm. this one although it is still confusing it's easier to follow in a way you know it like i feel like if you're not paying attention to this one you kind of might lose it a bit but so it is uh complex in its narrative layers because like you're to- being told this story and then all of a sudden you realize oh this is actually a story it's not the film it's a woman writing a story about this, but then you're wondering, is this really, did this happen to her? I think think the structure of the movie was, was fantastic because they don't tell you that he doesn't show you that until about halfway through the film. And then then you start, and then you start questioning. You're like, is she just reading her biography? Like, is she just telling her story? Is this her story or is this, you know, what is this? I think that's what, like how he portrays it though. Like he wants you to believe that, but be confused at the same time. Cause you're at the same time you go, is she reading her story that she wrote to, and that's what's being told to us or is it not happening? Is it in her head? Yeah. Right. Is it even fucking, is she even a writer and shit? And it really does. And the point you're not supposed to know anything until the reveal happens. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and when it happens, you're like, Holy fuck. And then like one of the, this is, this is one of the great examples of a movie that after you watch it and you, you try to think back and you go, fuck, dude. You know, it's as simple. Yeah. It's, it's, it's as simple as almost just flipping shit. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then if you yeah, put... Yeah, there's if, all these, like, cool, you know, foreshadows and things like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I dig that. And honestly, like, it, it's kind of scene, a surreal movie. Scene. Like, it has some surreal elements to it that um, is a lot different from the previous film that we talked about the suicide club this film one, this, this one, one feels like a a dramatic you know it, it feels like a fantasy it feels like a drama fantasy you know to the point where it's like it's it's a fucking head total head yeah trip. It, it's way more like art housey too yeah but it has yeah. that fantasy feel to it though also i think it's because the way the film is it's portrayed as um it's a very beautiful looking film. It's a movie I'd love to see on Blu-ray. Like I have the DVD and I don't know if it has Blu-ray release, but you know, the colors and shit, it's just very reminiscent of watching like a Mario Bava, a, you know, an Argento film with all the real bright reds and you know, the school and like all those scenes with all the bright reds and shit. Yeah. Very interesting. Cinematography, really, really interesting stuff, man. Dialogue is really bizarre too. Yeah. Really the fucking film is- like weird but like Like the the, dialogue was making me laugh at times i'm like people talk like this (laughs) and then that's when you know you start quite but i think it's smart to have that type of dialogue when you have that type of imagery and that type of uh, aesthetic going in the film because it at it's like this fantasy And, and we know when you incorporate the word fantasy into a film it's not real 
So the whole time, immediately, he's projecting this unreal, surreal type film. And the whole time you're you're trying to figure out if it's real or not, but you're always, you're leaning towards the fact that this is not real. Yeah, I love that, and and like yeah. he just knocks you. you know, it's crazy. I, I love that approach to filmmaking. It's really good. Thought the performances were excellent. It deals with a lot of real heavy shit, man. I th- I still think the the incest scene is is really fucked up. Yeah, like I I mean as much as you know a father fucking a, a little daughter is is, is insane, but. You know, just the fact to like it's lie. really messed up because she's so young. Like she's twelve. Yeah, like, dude. If she was like sixteen or something, it wouldn't be as disturbing. Yeah. She's so young. She looks like a little kid. She does. She's like ten years old, man. It's like it's so savage. But just the, just the uh, the fact of coming up with the idea of locking a child in a cello case with a hole drilled in it, so with the sole purpose of watching them have sex like that's just fucking bizarre yeah and the mother starts freaking out and attacking the daughter when they're home alone and stuff like that well, because she finds out the father did this without the mother knowing right? at first at first yeah. yeah so yeah um so the mother has some sort of resentment against the daughter kind of blaming her mm-hmm. fucking weird man <laughs> it's 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 kind of a hard movie to talk about this is not the type of incest i like <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard movie to talk about without giving you know spoiling it yeah the the whole ending is um like it's one you don't want to reveal at all because no, it really is don't. really good it is really good really really good stuff and you know and, and i'm glad that when the reveal happened you're like oh fuck yeah you know like you just instantly kind of get it you're like that totally makes fucking sense right yeah. So I, I love that, man. You know, as for as confusing the film is being portrayed to you, you know, it, it works itself out in the end. But it's a it's a fun ride. You know, it's it's a long film. I think it drags a little bit in the, in the middle of the movie, though. You know, like a lot of these films, you know, runs mm-hmm. just under two hours. I think it probably could have been cut down a little bit. I thought there were some scenes in the middle. I felt like <sighs> were just kind of. I don't know, padding the time, it felt like a little bit. Yeah. You know, and, um, but I mean, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's not that big of a deal, but I, I felt like the pacing was off a little bit at times and stuff, but it, it does really, really pick up in like the last 40 minutes though. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like things, there was a moment and then it just kind of fucking went from there. And then we get this like insane shit at the end of the movie. And <laughs> I love that, but I feel like the middle, you know, it starts out really heavy and it ends really heavy. And I feel like, you know, there's a half mm-hmm. an hour in the middle of the film that I felt it was kind of the problem yeah. with it. You know, I think if this was tightened up a little bit, but yeah, you got a small cast in this one too. Not too many characters. Yeah. Um, so what would you rate it then? I gave strange circus a nine out of 10. It's a really fantastic film. And you know, like I said, this is a movie I would love to see with a, with a high def transfer. There probably is one out there. Someone's probably going to write it down or, you know, tell us, but somewhere in the world probably has one, but, uh, uh, it's definitely th- that type of film. I love these fantasy type, real beautiful, aesthetically looking films that really do work, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Um, I came in at an eight out of 10 on it. Um, it was, it was really good. It was, it was definitely a good movie, man. Like I, I dug it. It was, you know, disturbing and, and really out there. 
um, very art housey and stuff, and and a cool reveal too. So yeah, I give it an eight. But definitely a big improvement over fucking Suicide Club for me. <laughs> um, but this fucking next one. Next up here from 2010, so we go from 1-5 to 10, uh, with a film called Cold Fish. And this is actually based on a true story, which is just (laughs) mind-fucking. I I found that out after... I talked about this film to somebody. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that there's things that are definitely fabricated in this, but uh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like all these based on. I mean, that's why they're based on true, true stories. I'll, I'll tell you right now. I didn't own this film, but I bought it after watching it. Uh, Five ninety nine on Amazon. Oh, nice for the DVD. Couldn't nice. pass it up. The bloody disgusting one. Yeah. Wow, you can still get that, right? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, oh, which one here? Synopsis. When Samoto's teenage daughter is caught stealing, a generous middle-aged man helps resolve the situation. The man and his wife offer to, to have Samoto's troublesome daughter work at their fish store. Samoto soon discovers the horrific truth of the seemingly perfect couple. Yeah. Um, Bro, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> It's it's a really you know what you know what's really fucked up about this movie, not just the core story of the general and his wife. Is this movie is like an adult coming of age movie? Yeah, kind of. It really it really <laughs> is, man. Like this father was a massive pussy. He was the perfect target for someone like the general that can just control and make him do anything he wanted to, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know, and but then he kind of doesn't want to buy into it anymore. You know, and I, I love that. I love that aspect of the story. But um, yeah, there's so much going on in this film. Like, first of all, you have this uh, man who has you know this issue with his daughter. Um, kind of dis. She seems like she's a type of wild child or something. Like being, you know, uh, kind acting of a common out. theme. You know. Actually, that's kind of the theme of all three of these movies, right? In Suicide Club, we've got the detective who obviously has a disconnect with his family. Strange mm-hmm. Circus, there's quite obviously something wrong with the family. And yeah. our core, you know, our main character here, Smoto and his daughter, are obviously not in good places. And his wife, which is his second wife, his yeah. daughter's yeah. mom actually so it, passed it, away. And they don't have a good relationship at all. Yeah, the daughter is very resentful that her father remarried, well, so she's acting out and things like that. She's resentful because her mom is so fucking young. <laughs> like, I think oh, mom... yeah, this girl is super young, and she is fucking smoking, by Dude, the way. Dude, I know. There's something about her tits. Oh, I, was, I, I was so happy was when they even showed her tits in the movie. by them. Oh, dude. When they that, showed her tits, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. That's the guys awesome. told me. The guys told me that that's uh, Sino, uh, Sino's real wife. Shut up. Yeah. 
dude what is she, what is she like 30 years younger than her dude, she's fucking like dude right from the beginning i was like so attracted to her like for, like in her top and then oh, i had no i idea. was hoping you got to see her naked at some point yeah, and, yeah. and she has like perfect boobs too so like yeah. dude she's smoking you know it's interesting um, like because she's she's a pretty small woman and like those are natural titties those are not yeah i know man big natural so nice. titties on an asian girl like that it's crazy yeah. yeah yep um and so man dude like okay so first of all like when you're introduced to what'd you say his name is the general mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um he is just like so forward and you could tell that he like is um you know, somebody who just does whatever he wants. He's a you power. I mean? You can tell he's a power because yeah. he's very he's very forward. He's very strong with his words, but he comes off as almost being eccentric at first because he's like so yeah. out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and you know what? Like, I think that the um, I think there's something to say about the fish shops and like, um, well, there's a the, contrast there, right? Because you, you take you know Samoto and the general and. Someone was obviously like this mom and pop store. Like that's the contrast I feel is there. Like he's got this mom and pop store. He kind of struggles to get by. He's just like this normal dude. And the general is the fucking corporation. You know, yeah. he's. It feels but like I he's got the also, chain. Yeah. It also represents their like manhood in a way. Oh, for sure, hundred percent. Like the yeah. the general got this big massive fucking fish shop. Yeah. And he got this little ass tiny fish shop, but, it, but yeah, it's like, their, their shops it's like are, they're fucking a pissing contest. <laughs> it, their shops are representative of their, of their personalities. Yeah. Right. Because the general is forward. He's a, he's actually a very mean, um, he's a very mean forward, uh, very psychotic person. And what, what he has in physical form is just a product of, of who he is. He can, he can forcibly get anything he wants essentially. Right. Samoto's very laid back. You know, mm-hmm. he's very shy. You know, he's not very forward. And, you know, which makes sh- you wonder how he nailed that hottie. You know, how yeah. he, how he, I know, her. right? I know, right? <laughs> he runs his little shop. He obviously doesn't push to, to make things bigger or better. He just, he's very content in what he mm-hmm. has. And, and the general is pushing forward because, you know, he's a sociopath. Yeah, essentially, whenever um, the wife uh, visits his office and he basically fucking seduces her and smacks her around a bit, that's when you—that's when shit like hits the fan in this fucking movie. Well, that's movie. that's the like one of the oddest scenes too, right? Because she just kind of there's no inclination that that she's like. Well, I mean, she's obviously not too happy in a relationship and stuff, but it's like all of a sudden she's there just getting fucked by the general. It's like what the hell. Like, yeah, well, I think that she has some emotional issues, um, and you see that where she wants to be hit and stuff like that. It's for like sure. she's, yeah, yeah. So there's something there. Um, but man, their, but I, their relationship happened so quick. It was like, oh, she's in the car, yeah. and she's like, oh yeah, let's fucking do. This. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, holy shit. Well, he just completely displays his power for sure. Know? Yeah, I think that's exactly what their show, what Sono's showcase in there. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, don't really have to show it uh, anymore. I mean, you get that right off the hop, you know, like. You walk into this guy's shop and he's got all these hot women working, all these all these hot little teenage girls working for him and shit. His shop is huge. He's yeah. got ten thousand dollar fish and fucking blah blah blah. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, and he he's you know a criminal. Like he steals people's money and fucking. By the time you get to the fucking cabin, dude, holy shit! I was like, this fucking movie's crazy. 
Yeah. <laughs> and you know what, dude? Like, I absolutely love the, like, realistic approach they take to, like, disposing of bodies. And, like, it feels very fucking serial killer-esque, right? Like, it feels like fucking... But the crazy thing about it feeling very <laughs> serial killer-ish is the fact that there's two people involved in this, man. The general yeah. is a psychotic motherfucker who... Wh- what is the phrase he uses? To make them... Not, he doesn't say disappear. Um, he he uh, says invisible. To make them invisible. invisible. Yeah. He says invisible. And the way he says it, I'm just like, fuck it. It sounds childish. It sounds like this guy hasn't developed his frontal lobe. You know, it's like ridiculous. And... But he's, he's fucking psychotic, man. He's a sociopath. And his wife, who actually is pretty good looking herself in the film... Is also yeah. part of this. So her when, boobs ain't got nothing on the no, other no, no. Though. <laughs> so the general, this is what he does. He he's nothing but a fucking criminal. He just steals money off people. He lies about it. He makes them invisible. And there's a lot of scenes where him and the wife are chopping up bodies. And I mean, dude, gr- it, like, it's dude, that as imagery, shit, man. It I, is go- like, it's this gory shit was as stuck fuck. in my head, homie. And I like looked <laughs> yeah. it like I just like typed in this movie and went to images on Google and just seeing him like crouch down there, like that's one of the images on there. I'm just like, man, that this was such a good watch for me. Like I just was look, this movie's two and a half fucking hours, dude. Yeah. I was but so I got, into it. But I have to say though, <laughs> man, for a two and a half hour movie, this thing tears by. Because so much stuff happens. That's there, why there's, there's so much things that happen. It's in this the pacing. Movie. It's the fucking editing. I'm telling you because when you have shit like, you know, Simono's wife, all of a sudden fucking the general. Like the editing is so quick in this movie. You you have to pay attention. What right? I said on Letterbox no was filler. like, this is what's really cool about Japanese filmmakers. Like I'm not the biggest fan of Japanese cinema, but fucking revenge thrillers like these type of movies mm-hmm. work so well because. They're fucking unpredictable. Like you don't know what's gonna happen scene from scene. Yeah. Like I have like where the film starts to where you have no fucking idea about about the road you're about to go down yeah. when you fucking open up in this fish shop. And but you're it, like, it's cool but, because this movie isn't just like a revenge thriller, you know, type movie. It's like I said, it's it's a fucking adult coming of age movie. It's it's a story <laughs> of a man that you know essentially mentally. I mean, he's not retarded. He's not small or nothing. But he's just. He's content, you know, he's shy. He, you know, he doesn't want the drama. He doesn't want the fights and stuff. And then he realizes that, you know, he's fucking losing. This guy's winning, he's losing. And something, it just triggers him, man. And he takes yeah. over. I love that shit, man. I love that because it's not his personality. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, of course, that's what happens in every revenge movie. But it's showcased here. We get to see how petty and shitty he is. He's a pushover. You know, he's just, he's so afraid of the general i mean there's this great fucking scene where they're going over the dialogue that he's going to lie ab- to about this or to these brothers about this guy that they just fucking offed <laughs> you yeah. know, and stole all their and money you, get, you you like actually and he does feel it great man you actually start feeling like nervous because you're like holy shit how the fuck would you get out of this like you're you literally 
help dispose of a body by this point like you're fucked man Isn't like it? there's no way there's like you cannot get out of this situation it cleanly anymore dude the fucking that scene is so funny too when the general breaks down and he starts crying and he's like well i don't know what's yeah, i know right because you're like, like this motherfucker is ridiculous with his acting i mean he's a fucking sociopath man he's, he's yeah. like crying i'm like this is ridiculous but it's dude, like and when they, they but just that's take sona the- putting in dark comedy into there because that's supposed to be kind of funny and, and unsettling because you know what he did. Yeah. You know, and I love, I love, love, love the um, location they used for like the mountain area, like the bridge that they cross where they dump the meat chunks off of the thing for the fish and shit. And I kept like, thinking to myself, I'm like, did they cabin. pick the junkiest cabin alive? I know it's not supposed to be like, you know, all fancy and shit because they're just chopping up bodies up there and stuff. But man, that thing looked like fucking it had been burnt down three times, you know? <laughs> well, the only thing that matters is the bathroom and that there's a fucking drain and a fucking bathtub. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, um, I, I do. The only thing that I thought was a little bit um, strange was the amount of like meat chunks that they had should have been way more that they dump. Because I'm like, dude, you just cut, like I know they got rid of a lot of bones and stuff, but yeah. I think that there's more meat chunks than would be. Is, is this a uh, bad worm placement right now? Yeah, a little Critique. bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, there wasn't was enough thinking, goddamn especially chunks the big, in there. The bigger Asian dude that they cut up, I'm like, dude, there's no way that his all his meat chunks would fit in those two little fucking bags. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, when but they man, fucking dude, kill that uh, one fucking the one of um, the general sidekicks there. Oh, dude, in the fucking hotel room. She's, like, beating him down and shit. I was like, holy fuck, man. That scene is just brutal. I didn't expect that dude to die in the film. The women are so slutty in this fucking movie. And, like, everybody's just fucking grimy and gross and fucking piece of shits. Well, yeah, I mean, she's Uh, just, I mean, she's married to the general. And she's out there fucking that big fat piece of shit, you know, mobster or whatever. And it's like, oh, God. Yeah. It's nasty, man. Nasty. Dude, I like this movie was fu- I cannot I dude, I I don't know how I haven't heard more about this one. This movie is fucking awesome. Dude, man. do you know what, man? When we first started on on YouTube, man, this movie was re- like talked about a lot. Yeah. Cuz I remember picking it up right, you know, right when I started. I hadn't even heard of it yet. Mm-hmm. And uh I maybe it didn't come out. I think in 2010 maybe it just come out on DVD in 11 or 12 or something like that. So, but it yeah. was get you got a lot of buzz. I actually I remember the very first person I heard talk about this movie was Danny. Actually. Mm-hmm. He had recommended this and I was like in one of his videos and shit and I was like, "Oh yeah, fucking cool." And then I'd watched it and I was like, "Fuck. It was fucking excellent. Really good yeah, shit." Dude. Really this good. This movie's great, dude. Yeah. Fucking great. But yeah, that the gore in this man, like it's it's not like that. You know, it's just that it's like brawl. Unsettling like so much. And then there's this absolutely fucking insane fight scene at the end <laughs> with a body and so much blood and carnage. It's just insane. Yeah. Absolutely great scene. The acting One of the greatest is so scenes. fucking good by everybody. Everybody's oh, yeah. acting is fucking on point, man. Yeah. From and the character arcs are so good. Like this is Sino Sono's fucking masterpiece if he had well, one. Well, the guy yeah, that plays this... what's his name, Masiro Fukusuhi. <laughs> I hate <laughs> fucking Japanese names; they're so hard to pronounce. But yeah, our um, our coming of age guy, the, the father. So he's so fucking good. Like even when he transforms into, you know, what he becomes. Yeah, he's just so good. He was pulling everything off really well. 
really, really good performances, man. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I would say that honestly, dude. Like, <laughs> I mean, th- this dude has improved so much from like the first film we talked about, Suicide Club, to this. This is fucking like it's shot so it's it just seems so much bigger and better than you know he progressed each film that we talked about for sure Mm -hmm. so um rating wise man coming in at 9.5 on this one absolutely loved it yeah i meant the same thing nine and a half yeah Fucking, if Jeremy was here, it could be a Hall of Famer because this fucking movie was. I, I'm great, actually curious. Dude. I'm curious what he would rate this because you know. Hey, you, you Patreon listeners, it. somebody give this movie to him for next month, man. This, this is I gonna hurt Sam's feelings right now. I know he's gonna like you guys gave him nine and a half, and Jeremy's not even on the show <laughs> to make the Hall of Fame. I know. I Damn, know. man, what the fuck happened, man? <laughs> I'm actually curious to hear what he would, or you know, his thoughts on all three of these movies because. You know, there's a lot. These are three different films. There's a lot going on. They're very. One's an art house film. One has, you know, it's all mm-hmm. shit that he essentially likes. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I don't know. I don't think he's the biggest. I would have been curious fan, but... to hear Brandon's thoughts too. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he would have really dug the because uh... I think he watched them too. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah. But... All right, so that's it. That's a short one. Yeah, that was a fucking really, really fucking short show, man. Which well, I don't mind at all because I feel like dog. That's pits. the thing, man. I mean, the uh, news is short, but I mean, the show always gets prolonged when we have a bonus review and we have when we do box yeah. office brawl and dead mail, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those extra segments, man. I mean, I, I could have thrown <laughs> in a quick little fucking. Uh, you know, corners report <laughs> that would have, that would have, you know, in, the, in extra 30 seconds, extra 30 seconds, 30 seconds. I actually got the new room morgue sitting right here. Actually. I haven't even read it yet. Um, but yeah, so that's episode one fifty five science. Yep. Sono. um, you know, not exactly how we wanted the show to turn out. I, I think, I still think it turned out pretty good. Just the two of us, but, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, but I got to watch such a fucking good movie for this. And, and I was telling Carly, I was like, I always have to have these situations happen because it makes me remember why I fucking love horror and like finding films and watching stuff. Cause sometimes you just find one that you're so enthralled in yeah. and you just fucking love it. And cold fish is, uh, is one of those films for me. So. I mean, this pick by Sam was fantastic for me. You know, these Sono films, cause I, I personally like all three, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you might have to check out suicide club, maybe down the road with the, you know, just look at it differently and shit. But it's, it's, I think it's a good film. Yeah. You know, just kind of given what or how they, he made the film and stuff. So, but, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week, episode 156, with uh, Maniac OG vs. Remake. And there is a bonus review of the Cementer. The, yeah. No, the Cremator. Yep. The cremator. <laughs> yeah. I call this Samantha. Gee, I'm reading this. I'm, I have something in my eye. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I literally have something in my eye. I'm trying to read this, and I'm like, I haven't watched a movie yet. So, um, apparently, it's from 1969. Good old bonus reviews. Yeah. Yep, but that's it, man. 
That is it. I have no idea how long this has been running for, but I'm sure it's not the longest. <laughs> yeah. We actually should have got. I mean, I'm sure all those other dudes are on Skype. We should have just brought them into the show and just did a segment. I know, right? It <laughs> <laughs> was fun. But anyways, guys, that is it. I am not going to do the outro because, well, let's face it, nobody fucking listens to the outro. Yeah, that's true. Like, actually, I think Derek does because he always hears the shit that I put at the end of the show. He <laughs> always hears it. I swear he's the only one that ever hears it because no one ever comments on it. But, yeah. Anyways, um, I don't, do you want to do an outro? You know some of the links and shit. I don't. I mean, yeah, just you know, check us out on the usual places, horophilia.com. We're on Spotify now. Uh, fucking Stitcher, all the good stuff. iTunes, uh, Twitter, 22Shots Podcast, email 22ShotsOfMoodsAndHorror at gmail.com, as well as the Facebook group, which is um, Facebook slash group slash 22ShotsPodcast. YouTube channel mood six one six double shot J, and uh, we're signing out here. So we'll oh. see you guys. I do want to say yeah. one thing. If you are interested in joining the you know the twenty two shots of moods and horror f- uh, Facebook group, I really do appreciate when people answer the questions when they when they uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sign up to be in the group. They don't, people don't sign up when request they to request join. request to join the group. That was the word I'm looking for. Yeah, because lately I've been having. Quite a few people have answered the questions. I like when people answer them honestly. They're like, you listen to podcasts? No. Where'd you hear about it? Uh, Exploding Heads or this podcast. Yeah. Like, cool. You know, it's fine. You just be honest. And, and I I like that. I like that. So Yeah. I do too. That's why I put those there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we'll see you guys next week with uh, me, Moods, and Jeremy. Deuces. Peace. Nugs. Say, Tans, what did the Spanish priest say to the Iranian gynecologist? I don't know. Better flat.